Hey everybody, good morning this morning. Get body this morning, everybody. Good morning this morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy days are here again. Happy days are here again. Oh, just in time for the midterm elections. That wasn't a hard prediction to make, was it? Yes, 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 yes. The, uh, the caravan. The caravan headed to the border. Let's see. What time is it? Let's see. Oh, uh, 6 a.m. And it's Tuesday. So just about uh, by the time the weekend comes around, we're going to, uh, we're going to have a... <laughs> uh, we're going to have a confrontation at the border, supposedly. But I, I don't know whether it's going to be actually a confrontation because uh, we're going to have the military down there, 5,200 troops, and they're going to be at the border. And we don't know how this is all going to shape up. Uh is going to be joining me at about 7 o'clock if my uh, – if my let me see if my schedule is uh, right on here. Let's see. Okay, yes, indeed, 7 o'clock. And we'll talk about what the uh, – what the military is going to do there. I think there's this idea, like in, in Mark Kaysen's fantasy world, 
it's going to be another Kent State. Now, obviously, Mark isn't hoping. I don't think he is, at least. I think some people are. These people, I, I haven't, I haven't asked Mark that. Maybe he can, he can chime in eventually. But in in, uh, <laughs> hold on a second though, because I think he says um, uh, he's he's talking about how. Uh, oh, now President Trump's threatening us with leprosy and smallpox and that kind of thing. Uh, keep in mind, these people are not these people are not necessarily the healthiest individuals. They're coming from third world countries where the medical care and everything else is uh, not that great. And yeah, it it, it can happen. In fact, uh, all I do is go back to the days and 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 cite the arrival of the of the pilgrims and when they came over here uh, it was uh, it was it's true that they came over here and they they gave diseases to the native americans i mean that's just kind of the the the, the way it goes i mean that that's what happened and so i'm not saying that uh, everybody is just a bunch of leprosy carrying smallpox carrying individuals but there's that possibility so anyway all that's going to be let me get myself together here real quickly uh. Uh, all, all that is, uh, there's all that possibility that these people are going to be bringing with them some degree of problems that just happens. Anyway, the troops are going to be down there. And I think Mark thinks it's going to be uh, some confrontation like Kent State, so that they're going to be standing there and that you're going to have guns pointed at the caravan and that the little babies in the caravan are going to come up and put daisies into the barrel of the of the guns well that's that's not going to be happening that's not what is happening that's not the way the the troops are going to be organized and how everything is going to be uh taken care of and we'll talk to jim about that a little later on so this fantasy idea that somehow uh, the the troops are going to be standing there with their guns pointed at people because that's that's kind of what the People want on the left. They want this confrontation badly. This is going to be their last big hope for a blow up because everything else has kind of gone by the wayside. I mean, they've beaten the synagogue killings to death. Uh, they, with the exception of maybe Drudge, who oddly enough went after Fox News for when they had their outnumbered show for for laughing. During the show, I don't know what Matt Drudge is expecting the media or Fox News to do. I don't. Are we? Are we supposed to? And again, are we? Is everybody supposed to kind of have a black shroud over their newsrooms, or am I supposed to have a black shroud hanging on my? bench here or what have you i mean we we think it's obviously terrible what happened and uh it's it's horrible what happened but i but i don't know whether or not fox news when they do their outnumbered show really needs to have a uh they they did it they did a segment on the whole bomb scare and synagogue attack and that kind of thing and 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 you got to remember that uh, that the 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 individuals on the show and Fox News they've been kind of given somewhat of a mandate to be happier it seems I, I I do get that like for instance when they're talking about 
politics. They have these people on there from the left, and they all laugh through their, these people making these outrageous statements uh, from the left side. And that, that's the one complaint I do have about Fox News is that uh, they're, they're kind of having to take all comers now and not have to have an attitude about anything or hold people accountable. So now it's just like it's just basically like a committee more than anything else and and people can just say whatever they want to say. And so that's I, I get it because you're gonna have all the the voices there, but it does become a little bit of drudgery, pardon the pun. But we do have that issue with with Drudge now going after Fox News. I don't know I don't know what this is all about, but he's now claiming that somehow they laughed their way through a synagogue segment. And I, I mean, I, I saw the segment. It wasn't really that big of a deal. I mean, I was, it, they, they, they talked about it, but did their usual thing. And, and keep in mind that this is a show that is supposed the to Pittsburgh be. Pittsburgh synagogue attack and so much more will have at the ballot It's a daytime box. show. leading both the Democrat and Republican campaign efforts for the House, banding together to call for unity in the wake of recent violence. Ohio's Steve Stivers led the GOP's efforts. New Mexico's Ben Ray Luan, the Democrats. Watch. Democrats are not my enemy. They are my opponents. And while we have different visions for the future of America, different directions for America, we are all Americans first. We need to come together uh, and do what's in the best interest of America. Look, no one should be politicizing what happened this week. We should come together as a country. This should not be a political um, a response, but rather a, re a response in how we can further bring us together. Josh? No, look, I agree. I mean, what should unify us is the unify, unity of purpose, a unity in understanding. What so far, I don't see anything wrong with this segment. I, I remember actually listening to it and had no problem with this segment. But Drudge apparently sees this as an example of how Fox News doesn't care about synagogue shootings. I don't, makes don't understand this. different and great. What makes... This is Josh Holmes. He's a he's a Republican strategist. He actually makes some sense there. Different than our enemies, and and how we have had resolve over the years to try to get rid of the kind of bigotry and hate that we have seen pop up all too often here in recent weeks. What I'm not for is to try to paper it over as some of President Trump's uh, uh, critics would like us to do, and pretend like we don't have differences. And that our opinions cannot be articulated. And that somehow, if we just stop criticizing what we see as bad policy, that the wall will be together and we'll all feel I don't like see anything wrong right with this right now. That's not what this country is. That's not what makes us great. What makes us great is the ability to have these debates. Full-throated, angry, at times passionate. But at the end of the day, we understand that we're all on the, on the same team here. Yeah. And right. I when are you running? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's I guess this is where <laughs> it's interesting that you say I'm a I'm a Fox News you know contributor, but I'm also part of a political family. So we've had this discussion in our own house. My husband's ads from this point forward have all been positive. In the last weeks of the campaign, there's a lot of pressure from consultants, and you right. know what this is like to go negative. And what's been interesting is mm. my kids have said, "Dad, don't go negative, don't go negative, don't." And we they saw the ad that the consultants wanted to put through, and. There's a debate in our house because whether we like it or not, negative ads actually use them because they work. They work. Mm. And so do people have the political courage enough to go positive, show what they're for? Mm. Instead so, of so far, what does Drudge have a problem with this for? I don't understand what his point of view is here. And, and the only reason why I'm even talking about it is because 
when Drudge goes off on a tangent, when Drudge goes off on this kind of thing where he will actually critique a news organization, it's pretty rare. And so people are making kind of a big deal of this whole thing that Drudge attacks Fox News for laughing through a segment. I'm trying to figure out why why would Drudge first of all take this and 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 run with it and and do this? Why why would they why would he do this when it seems pretty innocuous to me? I mean, these shows again, this is like eleven o'clock in the morning central time, uh noon eastern time. And so it's a, it's technically a daytime show. And so when you have uh, these individuals out there, and 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 to me, you know, you know Kennedy's on the show, and you have uh, all the other. Uh, uh, it's it's been, it's called outnumbered, and we've we've been on there before, and you've got all the 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 people who were generally part of uh, this show on, and they tend to be. Lighter, they tend to talk about the news and just be that way. But Drudge apparently thinks this is because the these people are laughing, and I guess it's because I don't know whether Drudge is is Jewish or and and believes that and takes offense at the fact that that these people are having a lighter approach to a discussion about being light. It's a discussion about kind of being. Uh, about softer tones and taking different tacks and things like that. So, of course, they're going to be a little lighter, but it's also daytime TV. So, I don't know. You know Drudge's headline is, check your soul in the makeup chair. It's like, really? Is this kind of, that's a little overdone, Humanizing their, 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 their opponents and painting them as enemies. It's an interesting conversation. It's happening in every single congressional race right now. And it's happening at my own house. So just so people know that you have enough people to debate, you and your husband have eight. <laughs> we have eight. So right Seven now, of them right now actually talk about who's outnumbered. Right? <laughs> I mean, okay, so, so this, this, this is apparently what, what his problem is, that they're, they're actually laughing and having time to have a conversation. And Harris Faulkner is pointing out that this one chick has baby. I, Honestly, what what world are we living in where suddenly we all have to run around moping around? It's like it's like did Drudge have a problem with with President Trump when he went ahead and had his uh, had his rallies anyway? In, in, in did he have to cancel all of them? I'm not quite sure what the problem is. So now finally, that sadly we've gotten to the point where you know now. We're starting to eat our own, and and Drudge isn't necessarily a conservative on any stretch, but normally he's a little more fair, but he's decided to take after uh, the folks over there at Fox News, which is kind of inexplicable. I'd rather have the laughing than just the absolute lies, which actually happened on Jake Tapper's show on CNN when he sat back and uh, let this uh, – well, he's oftentimes been known for letting people just attack without having any kind of uh, of uh, of pushback on people. Like, for instance, there was that one time when these, this Parkland student, Cameron Caskey, attacked Marco Rubio. It was like, uh, well, you know, whatever. You know, he didn't even notice it. Then we had a member of this panel decide that she was going to compare President Trump to ISIS and and was allowed to do so 
Check this I out. I think, you know, this president, one of the things that he really launched his presidential run on is talking about Islamic radicalization. And this president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. I mean, the way he talks, the way he, the way he. That is, that's just. It's, it's the way he talks, the way the way that he uh, allows these people, the way he winks and nods to these groups, the way he says, I know I'm not supposed to say it, but I'm a nationalist, the way that he hems and haws when he has to mm -hmm. uh, condemn these people and kind of th gritting his teeth kind of says, fine, okay, I condemn this, but then, you know, and all Jake, his... For you not to push back on that... You're is, about is to push back on but to bring it... Bring... For her to say that the President of the United States has radicalized more people than ISIS is irresponsible. So, so he had to have a guest on, on this program be the one to finally say, you know what, I, uh, this is wrong and, and, and this is not right for uh, an individual to, uh, to, to, to compare the president to ISIS. At some point, and this is a GQ columnist, her name is Julia Loft, at some point you have to have someone like Tapper say, Wait just a friggin' second here. Your panelists shouldn't be the ones to try to teach you how to deal with a guest who will compare someone to ISIS. And so thank goodness for the other panelists who finally said, hey, uh, dude, <laughs> when are you going to when are you going to push back on this guest who just said that the president has radicalized more people than ISIS ever did? How? When are you going to do that? So, so if if I'm Drudge, the the problem with with anything in the news media, if you're going to go after anything in the news media, is people like this, people who are on there talking about radicalizing more people than ISIS. And by the way, first of all, on its face, claiming that the president is radicalizing anybody is ridiculous, because first of all. That's like saying that that Hillary Clinton radicalizes people, and and I've I've never made a statement on any stretch that 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 the leaders of the Democratic Party have radicalized individuals. Now you can say that Maxine Waters, and I bring her up again because it's so easy. Uh, Maxine Waters is clearly radicalizing people when she tells them to go and confront individuals at gasoline stations and restaurants and beyond. I mean, that's, that's pure radicalization on, 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 on her part. But again, even that, I'm not quite sure I could even call that radicalizing. I wouldn't even come up with the term because I, I don't apply, you know, I guess to a certain degree it's terrorism, but you know, you gotta be a little careful about how you throw around comparisons to terrorism, that kind of stuff, because I'm a little more careful about how how that whole thing rolls. Because, I, I mean, you know, I could say that Maxine Waters is promoting terrorism, but domestic terrorism or what have you. But to a certain degree, I'm, I'm not going to I'm, I'm not even going to go there, even though it's easy to do so. And you can easily claim that she's radicalizing people. People aren't careful with their words, I'm not t saying that people ought to be quiet or never render their opinion, but we've gotten to the point now where individuals now throw around these lines, whether it be Brennan talking about the president being a traitor or you know th treason or this or that, uh, is a little bit rough. And, and, and I would say that Brennan is a traitor 
But the idea of the president being a traitor because he says something or he has a policy choice or what have you is a totally different story. But nonetheless, it doesn't matter. They'll throw the words around uh, racist, xenophobe, bigot, misogynist. It's like it's the language of the left, uh, and it's all tactical. It's all designed to kind of keep everybody afraid and to keep everybody quiet. And that's kind of how these folks operate. So uh, it has to be called out at some point. It has to be a situation where somebody has to be a gatekeeper. And uh, Harris Faulkner and Kennedy and a couple guests laughing through a daytime television segment isn't our worst problem. And Drudge missed this one, and I don't understand it. But now keep in mind, later, and this is how terrible it was, later this uh, Julia Loft, the GQ columnist, and by the way, why a GQ columnist is on TV is a uh, is 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 still kind of beyond me, but so she winds up later in the show coming back and apologizing for 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 what she said. That's how bad it was, and that's how much you know. And, and of course, Tapper must be completely embarrassed at this point because first of all, he has a he has a guest of his, a panelist, a fellow panelist do his dirty work for him by saying, hey, dude, this is wrong, what just happened here. Uh, You need to step in and push back on this when she says that he's radicalized more people than ISIS. But he didn't. And then later on, after a break, they come back, and the GQ columnist who said this actually winds up apologizing for it, for, for the statement that Tapper didn't even push back on. That's how bad it got. Uh, let's uh, talk about some stuff with our panel. I want to get to the conspiracy theories in a second, but first we have a little house cleaning because for you, the Republican National Committee is jumping on your comments. You earlier on, in the show said that Donald Trump is radicalized. Uh, so it, the Republican National Committee is jumping on your comments, says Jake Tapper. Not me, though, uh, Julia. Not me. I'm not, I'm not jumping on your comments after you just said that President Trump has radicalized more people than ISIS. But anyway, thank goodness for the house cleaning, right? Second, but first we have a little house cleaning because for you, the Republican National Committee is jumping on your comments. You earlier in the show said that Donald Trump has radicalized more people than ISIS has. Uh, David and Mona uh, disagreed with you strongly. Is there something you wanted to clarify? What- I do want to clarify. I think I spoke in the heat of the moment. This has been a very emotional and personally painful time for me. Okay, I think- yeah, of course. It's been an emotionally and personally painful time for me. So, so that, that's her excuse now is that, is that because she's emotionally pained and i don't know what that means i don't know whether that or not the synagogue shooting affected her or the uh, attempted mail bugs bunny mail bombs affected her i don't know but this is another example of what i talked about yesterday and that is individuals believe and and this this is this is people who are raised poorly these individuals believe that or, or or they learn it in school by their teachers or whatever in co- college they they believe that as long as they have some kind of emotional feeling about something as long as they are ass hurt about something it doesn't matter what comes out of their mouth and it doesn't matter what they do and 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 it's the it's the basis on which someone for instance during a moment of silence 
for the synagogue killings for 11 people dead will shout, you're a white supremacist during a moment of silence because to get their point across because they feel like, well, I'm, I'm really hurt by this and therefore I can do this. It's what allows Antifa to break windows and light fires. It's what allows Madonna to say she wants to bomb the White House. It's what allows that clown, the, the, the MAGA clown, to send bombs to people, the Bugs Bunny bombs. It's actually what allows the guy to run into a synagogue and kill 11 people because he feels like his emotions are the important ones and he needs to make a statement. It's no different. And you're saying, well, what do you mean? I mean, it, it's, it, it, it is different uh, in killing people. Well, technically it is, but, but the basis on which these acts are carried out are no different. It's, when, you, when you accuse the president of being racist just because you have your feelings hurt or you accuse the president of radicalizing more people than ISIS ever did just because you happen to be ass hurt about something that happened in the news – or, or, or if you are uh, Maxine Waters and you tell people to go and, and savage each other just because you happen to lose an election, uh, th- th- those are not acceptable. But, but that's what has become acceptable is this, well, I just felt this way. I'm really sorry I did it, but I just had this feeling I, 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 it's been a tough day. It's like, okay, everybody has tough days. I get it. But lashing out and, and making a fool of yourself and attacking other people and then coming back afterwards and saying, yeah, well, I just had my feelings. It's like people are kind of been there, done that with these kinds of things. And we've seen it time and time and time again. And so now she's making excuses. She's apologizing for what she said, but basically making an excuse. Exaggerated, and I apologize yeah, for that. Yeah. You earlier in the show said that Donald Trump has radicalized more people than ISIS has. Uh, David and Mona uh, disagreed with you strongly. Is there something you wanted to clarify? What- I do want to clarify. I think I spoke in the heat of the moment. This has been a very emotional and personally painful time for me. I think I exaggerated, and I apologize for that. You, you, you don't think you exaggerated. You did exaggerate, honey pie. Big time. But what I, the point I was trying ham-fistedly to make is that there, it's not a coincidence that, uh, according to the ADL, the number of... So ad- she's just going to make the charge all over again and just put it in a different formulation, which basically <laughs> isn't an apology. It's just you being allowed to kind of cleanse the record and put it more cleanly. ...attacks has jumped by nearly 60% in the first year that Donald Trump was in office. And it's no coincidence because even though the main danger is homegrown right-wing extremists, as many studies have pointed out, this administration has methodically shifted resources away from monitoring those people, away from trying to control those people and keep them from committing violence. But I do apologize for that heated rhetoric. Okay. It was counter, let's just say, not factual. And David, you Yeah, let, to- let's just say it wasn't factual. And, and also her claim somehow that because President Trump has taken office and because certain things have been on the rise in terms of attacks on uh, the Jewish community or whatever she's talking about, which, by the way, many of these things that have happened, the one case, it was discovered that the person who toppled the tombstones in the cemetery was some black dude who 
was angry at his girlfriend. I think he was from St. Louis or something, and it had nothing to do with anti-Semitism and everything to do with a guy who wanted to make some kind of statement because he was angry at his girlfriend. I mean, other than that, I can't figure out other instances of of anti-Semitism. I don't understand this at all, especially the anti-Semitism part related to Donald Trump, who who is uh, whose uh, daughter is now Jewish after she married a Jewish man, and he has a Jewish grandchild, and he is a steadfast supporter of Israel. Israel loves the guy, and so I'm not. I'm trying to figure out like where the where the uh, where the anti-Semitism thing is coming from. I, 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 I just don't I just don't get it. And 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 they they try to tie it into this idea that because President Trump said he's a nationalist, that makes him a white supremacist, which of course isn't true. Uh, taking pride in your country and taking pride in America isn't by itself a, a an act of anti-Semitism or an act of racism. I don't understand where these folks are coming from but that's kind of the world we live in and lord this uh julia Laffey person is allowed then to repeat her in my opinion egregious charge against the president but just not do it in the way that she did it before which was when she said that he's radicalized more people than isis and yeah the gq thing is another story the uh GQ magazine, I, first of all, I don't know what what they're doing in politics, but I've always known I, they, they've been lately kind of going after that hipster crowd, the, 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 the younger crowd. The hip, GQ magazine is where the uh, brown shoes, blue sh- suits came from. They're, they're the... They're the kind of inventor of that, and I've always been kind of off the grid in terms of uh, in terms of dressing. So I I don't really have that much of a problem with it. But uh, they're where young people go to learn like what goes with what, you know, what belts go with certain pants, and uh, what looks good. Which which has resulted in everybody who reads GQ looking the same. Yeah, GQ magazine is where. The I don't know whether you've noticed this among some of the younger people out there. GQ magazine is where the uh, cuffed jeans trend came from. The the tr- the cuffed bright blue jean trend with the uh, with the saddle shoes and whatever it is that that whole thing came from. That's I think that's thankfully going away. But there was a time when anybody who was uh, basically under thirty or in their early thirties, and sometimes if they want, if, and if guys who were older than that wanted to look younger, they would dress in the cuffed jean look. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? It's like the worst possible look you could find, but they, 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 that was their thing where they had the the cuffed jeans and the and the uh, and the tweed jacket look. That was that was that came from GQ. Now you also, you are also, uh, Julie's like, yuck. Yeah, it kind of, you know, 
that's the thing. I, and I don't know whether you've seen that. It, you probably have, have seen it. But that's, that's where that came from GQ magazine. Now, somebody, some of you are out there saying that the GQ magazine also uh, gave the thumbs up to the man bun. I don't, I don't know whether that's the case, but it's really just, you know, it's, it's, they, 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 they teach guys, you know, how to, you know, certain drinks to make. And it's just, it's just, it's, it's, it's a very unnecessary magazine. If you're, if you're just living a normal life, you really don't need to, to wear, uh, you don't really need to 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 uh, read GQ magazine. It's just kind of you know, it's it's probably not necessary. But but they are very liberal and 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 very left. And you know they'll they'll interview, you know they'll they'll put you know Howard Dean on the cover of the, of the magazine or Al Gore or things like that and try to tie it into, you know, what's Al Gore wearing? His you know Al Gore's. Uh, Shirt is uh, sponsored by blah blah blah. It's three hundred dollars, and it says you know that it's that kind of thing. But that's the GQ magazine. Oh, Stacy. Well, Stacy, you're a lady. I'm talking about the guys who were the uh, the the. It's it's the look. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's the cuffed jeans, and the jeans always have to be brand new, and they are cuffed. And then they're wearing like brown leather shoes, maybe argyle type of socks, and then a tweed jacket or a flannel shirt or something like that. And and they all look the same. <laughs> they all look the same. Oh, you guys are funny. So it, it but it but it is kind of it, it's kind of fun to make fun of. But why GQ magazine has a has a uh, a political panelist. I mean, you can say all you want about GQ magazine, but why they have a political panelist on the uh, on CNN is is another story altogether. It's just kind of kind of funny. <laughs> oh, <laughs> by the way, are the uh, do you all read the the women's magazines? Uh, I, and, and Paul just brought it up, but uh, like. Uh, like I know that like my mom, <laughs> God love her, because I used to, I used to have all these magazines at the house when I was a kid. You know, my mom would get would get um, magazines like uh, Red. She had she got uh, she had Red Book. Is Red Book still around? Red Book magazine, and and then uh, there was Red Book. There was Vogue. My mom didn't have Vogue. There was uh, Cosmopolitan. It was Red Book, Cosmopolitan, and I think my mom had uh, Cosmopolitan and Red Book. And Red Book was more of like the, uh, oh, McCall's, okay. The McCall's magazine. And that was for, there were some that were for older women, right? Like McCall's was for older women. And Red Book, I think, was for older women, too. But Red Book is where you'd have all the, uh, you know, the meatloaf recipes and things like that and the casserole recipes in Red Book. Because I remember, to tell you the truth, and I will, I will, uh, I was sometimes, I did see the magazines uh, and, and I did sometimes uh, 
see, you know, like the cover of Cosmo or something like that. And I guess I'd, I, as a, as a boy, you know, I'd be like, uh, you know, hmm, that's pretty uh, interesting. A little, so that's a good looking lady right there on the cover of that magazine. And I'd maybe thumb through it a little bit here and there just for, just to see what was in it. Good housekeeping, family circle, right? Yeah. Cosmo, that's right. Mama K was kind of full of sex. <laughs> yeah. I, so I'd, I'd, I'd be, Red Book always had like, seemingly had a casserole on it or something on the cover. So I wasn't very interested in that as a young boy, as a teenage boy. I look at that and I normally would be like, eh, there's nothing in there for me. Actually, there was nothing in any of those magazines for me, but I, I kind of, uh, I kind of made made that so, uh, and yeah, Lise and Mama K. Cosmo was pretty racy at the time for for that. This was in the seventies, so we would have, uh, we would have you know, that. That would be one of the so in the seventies and the it was pretty swinging in the seventies. And Cosmo was kind of at the front of all that. This was before. This was before really they any of these people really became very political. Either they that or they were political, and I just didn't know it. But I don't think that I think they stayed out of politics. Like uh, People Magazine has become very political, seemingly. Like although they did do a nice spread on Melania at some point because my mother in law gets People Magazine. And then People Magazine makes its way around uh, all the all the girls in the family, and so it winds up in our house every once in a while with Andrea. So, uh, you know, I will I, I will see the cover. I don't, I'm not really very interested in it, but but that it does have the does have some articles, and it did have something on Melania, or, or I think that was uh, that, or an Ivanka that was pretty good. But they boy, they love the Obamas, Lord. They'd have the Obamas on there like all the time. It was like the Obamas. They, it was almost like they were the royal family, which is another thing that that People Magazine likes is they like the they like the royal family. So they they do that, but generally, so I I thought that the, uh, the but yeah, Elizabeth Red Book really was for older ladies at the time. I think, and my mom did have that. But again, as a as a teenage boy, if you saw two magazines, Cosmo and Red Book. And Red Book had the the casserole dish on the cover, and Cosmo had the hot chick on the cover. The one you'd generally pick up as a teenage boy would be the one with the hot chick on the cover. And then and and generally that's what you would be looking into. But then even then I thought, well, this is still a women's magazine. I have really no business in here, so uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't thumb through Red Book to see what the latest is on the uh, on the tuna casserole front. What's the latest on the tuna casserole front? What kind of new spins on? Like, can you imagine me like sixteen? Boy, I'm really curious about the tuna casserole uh, developments. Are they are they still using potato chips and the tuna casserole, or have they changed it over to oh tortilla chips now? Is that the new new thing with tuna casserole? Does anybody still eat tuna casserole, by the way? I like tuna. My mom made a good tuna casserole. I actually did like. Do you still? (laughs) Have you ever heard of tuna casserole? Oh, you have. Okay. 
So Matt says he hasn't really had it. But I, do people still eat tuna casserole? It's kind of making me hungry. A good tuna casserole is hard to find. Do you all still make tuna casserole? Casseroles are great. I mean, I, that whole, do people still even do that stuff anymore, really? Like my mom made, uh, yeah, I, I had, I used to do a lot when I was in college. I did a, uh, I did a, uh, I, I did the hamburger helper all the time. It had like 7,000 grams of sodium in it. And you buy a little hamburger and, or tuna and that hamburger helper was a really good, good idea. The people who came up with that, I, I laud the hamburger helper people and, and, and the, uh, and the tuna helper people. What a great idea that was. Whoever did that, I, I hope is wealthy and that their and their kids are all well taken care of because, uh, can you imagine the first person who came up with that idea? Hamburger helper and 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 the cover was like a a glove, you know, and and because the because the helper was you know helping you and it was a glove. It's a brilliant idea. The more I talk about this, the more I'm really excited about that. And I could just imagine who 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 um, who does who is that a Betty Crocker thing or something? But anyway. Uh, hamburger Helper was a huge development in, you know, it, it came about, uh, and by the way, you guys are all saying you guys do, uh, you guys do your, you still do casseroles and tuna casseroles, and and I, uh, I love it. I don't know what's in there, because it's normally, there's a lot of cheese, and I thought there was a little bit of mayo or something in hamburger, in uh, tuna casserole. My mom made a good one, and her meatloaf was outstanding, and beef stroganoff. Who doesn't do people still make beef beef stroganoff? I love beef beef stroganoff. That's got to be terrible for you too, but who cares? Beef stroganoff. Do any of you make a good beef stroganoff? That's outstanding. I I can I can do that all day long. I'll talk about this all day if you want to. Comfort food, says Bindi. Yes, it is. Uh, indeed. Yeah, you know, cooking at home is kind of those things that pe- a lot of people don't really necessarily do all the time. But, uh, but yeah, hamburger helper. So you imagine the, the person who came up with that idea, and it was, it was kind of a, during the 70s, and it was, a per- it was perfectly timed because, you know, people were starting – yeah, Gail's like, are you hungry? I, I actually kind of am. <laughs> I am a little hungry, although let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. What I had basically, uh, at, uh, yeah, right, Margaret. Beef stroganoff is a hamburger helper flavor. Perfect. I mean, come on. How? I mean, how could you go wrong with the hamburger helper brand? Because, and 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 it came out when people were starting to uh, to make uh, changes in their lives. You know, women were going back to work. In fact, my mom. Uh, was at home most of the time and did all of her thing, but then suddenly became a life insurance agent. And so the, the, her life changed in the 70s and everything else. A lot of people went back to work or went to work or got, got jobs. And so time was different and timing was different. So the people, whoever came up with Hamburger Helper, they were so brilliant because they just made it easier to make, still make the kind of, you know, 50, 60 meals 
but just kind of add whatever, and it's already there. So you could still have the the, the nice comfort meals or the nice generally you know regular dinners, uh, but faster. And that was like the most brilliant thing. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that there's somebody out there whose grandfather invented Hamburger Helper, and they're living in some gigantic mansion someplace. The Hamburger Helper Mansion. Hey, what did what did you do? Well, yeah, my dad invented uh, Hamburger Helper. Oh, I see. So that's why you're flying around in the uh, fifteen passenger Cessna now. And well, you should. That's the one. T- that's the one thing I could honestly say. Uh, if you are richer than hell because of Hamburger Helper, you've earned every penny as far as I'm concerned. Although I, they did get me through school that and ramen noodles. But I will tell you, I, wa- I am hungry, but I'm not as hungry as I normally would be because let me tell you something. I will tell you that I make the best damn baked pumpkin seeds that anybody is ever going to eat on the planet. And that's what I did last night when, when I carved pumpkins with the kids. And I, uh, I, I always make the pumpkin seeds. And, it, and, and oftentimes, for whatever reason, sometimes I will burn them. And I didn't burn them this year. And I think I made one of the most excellent batches of pumpkin seeds that I've ever made. And I love pumpkin seeds. And what I did was I, you get them in the, you get them out of the, out of the uh, pumpkin and you uh, clean them and do all that kind of stuff. You don't want to put too much water on them because you don't want to soak them too much with water. So you got to be careful when you clean them. You put them in a sifter and uh, in a little sieve or whatever the hell those things are called, colander, uh, and, and you uh, get all the little stuff out of them, clean them out. And then uh, I put them in a bowl, put a little olive oil in there. I put a little uh, balsamic vinegar in there. I put uh, a little uh, Crystal's hot sauce in there. I put garlic in there, uh, garlic powder, and pepper. And then I just sat there and I baked them. I baked them like for a good hour and 20 minutes or so on 350. I had to turn it up a little bit because they didn't seem to be cooking as fast as I wanted them to, and so I, uh, I, I made the uh, made the pumpkin seeds. I wish I could share them all with you, uh, and uh, but I'd have to have a million pumpkins. I guess I could I could, I could buy pumpkin seeds and make, but that, that that's not the the way to go. I was very proud of Lily because uh, Lily, because a lot of people don't. Uh, Anthony, Anthony says, I never understood the love of eating seeds. Well, you know what, Anthony? It comes from it comes from our primitive time. It comes from us being the hunters and the gatherers. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's a primal thing that we eat seeds because all of our ancestors, when they were running around uh, dragging women by their hair and clubbing uh, hyenas, they were eating seeds. And, and so they... Uh, they like you know uh, nowadays like sunflower seeds are like the hottest thing going. They have all these flavors of sunflower seeds and and barbecued sunflower seeds and this and this and this. And then and I, to me, uh, going directly just to the insides of the sunflower seed is cheating. Just to buy you, you just to buy the kernels without the seeds, I think you're cheating. 
you need to go through the whole process of opening the seed and get because that's half the fun of it is opening the the seed and getting the seed, the kernel out of it. I thought, and same thing with peanuts. You know, it's there's not there's something more fun about eating a peanut after you've shelled it than just going right to the uh, right to the actual kernel. Uh, to me, that's that, that's cutting. Uh, to, to, to the chase that you shouldn't be doing right now. It's more fun to work for what you're eating. But anyway, Anthony, that's kind of, I think it goes back to when we were, uh, we were, uh, you know, we were hunters and gatherers. And Brandy says she soaks the seeds uh, for uh, a couple of days. Okay, I get it. I, I, I went ahead and, uh, and pistachios, that's the one thing. Hey, Mama K, pistachios, I think I, I think I could give you a pass on that because uh, pistachios are really hard to, there's not really that fun, much fun to eat with the shell on them like that. Um, it, it's too, you know, and even when you try to do it with your teeth, it's too hard. And uh, anyway, I, I did the uh, the uh, the seeds, but I, I, Brandy, I didn't soak them. I, I was worried it was going to get too waterlogged. But maybe you're right. And Julie, the peanuts. If you, have you all ever had uh, the uh, what do they call the peanuts that are that are the shells? That are soaked already, and in, in, I get them in the South. Uh, hard, uh, boiled peanuts. Now you ought to try those sometimes, because I sometimes will go ahead and eat the shell anyway. And, and uh, so I'll take I'll take a peanut with the shell on it, and I'll put that bad boy in my mouth, and I'll just eat the whole damn thing. It's great with beer. It's probably not really great for your gut, but. Uh, it seems to be some good deal of fiber, whatever. But but I'll I'll take that. I'll eat the whole damn thing. I like that. And so yeah, yeah, Julie, boiled peanuts. Those are pretty good. How do we get into this discussion? How do we how do we how do we start with the hamburger helper thing? How did I go from attacking CNN and and President Trump being radicalizing more people than ISIS to hamburger helper? Oh, it was because of the magazines, GQ magazine. That was right. Okay, sorry. Thanks for, thanks for, uh, <laughs> thanks for following me. And Janet, you're right. Crystal, yes, I would say Crystal is the uh, is the best hot sauce around. Uh, I I love it. I'll put Crystal on pretty much darn near anything and in anything. I put it on uh, my white anchovies when I had it with uh, tomatoes the other day. Anyway, listen to me. You guys are like I tuned into the. Radio Free Almond to get my daily dose of what's going on in the world. And he's talking about Red Book and tuna casseroles and eating peanuts with the shells on them. What the hell's wrong with this guy? Imagine if you're just tuning in and you've heard all about Radio Free Almond. Oh, yeah, it's a great show. You should hear. He's on top of it. He's on fire. You should hear him. Talk. He's doing this. He's talking about this. And he's talking about the media. He's under this. And then you tune in and I'm talking about uh, being a. Uh, teenage boy thumbing through my mom's Cosmo for a quick thrill, and then and, wa- and talking about Red Book with a casserole on the cover of it, and then getting into the whole the the the, the and, and and then lauding Hamburger Helper like it was like they they discovered you know water. So anyway, there you, you got a little bit of a uh, you got a little bit of a uh, you know you got a little bit of dose of what that's all about where my mind goes. But anyway, I was very proud of Lily, though, because, you know, the kids have certain things that they do and don't do. And like like Natalie is a, a tough little girl and is uh, brilliant and, and amazing. 
but she's not sticking her hand in a pumpkin and grabbing that the guts out of the pumpkin. She's not she's not doing that. So and that's something she'll never do. And you can't get her to do it, and she'll never do that. Although she's, you know, she's tough as nails. She's a great soccer player, volleyball athlete, everything else. Uh, and um, <laughs> but she's not sticking her hand in a pumpkin and grabbing the guts out of it. But Lily, on the other hand, who uh, is as girly as they come. In fact, she wanted me to carve her pumpkin last night because she's still eight. So she wanted me to carve her pumpkin. Uh, with eyelashes on it, because she's she's just that girly uh, in her own little way, but she's tough too. She's the kind of thing where you know she can she can get injured or something, or skin her knee, and and she could probably have a broken limb, and she'll still say, "I'm okay, I'm fine." Comes with being the youngest, I'm, I'm with you, but uh, she's as girly as they come too. Uh, but she will be sticking her hand in in the pumpkin. That's kind of what she was living for last night. She goes, "Yeah, I want to stick my hand in the." In the pumpkin to get the seeds out. I'm going, okay. But she's the same one who wanted a pumpkin with eyelashes on it. Which I, of course, made. A pumpkin with eyelashes on it. So, uh, I love pumpkin carving. It was fun. And you know what? Uh, kudos to my 14-year-old son, Aiden, who got out there and still carved pumpkins like he's with the, with the girls. Because you know, I told him, and in, in he, he, I didn't. Have to, it didn't take too much coercion. Sometimes, you know, you got to bring him up from his, uh, from his uh, Madden football, and 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 say, dude, type, but it's pumpkin carving time. And he's like, okay. And so he gets out there, and he, it, it was, it was fun. So uh, it's always good to have the fourteen-year-old uh, boy uh, still, still playing, still playing the game. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, Lily wanted her pumpkins, but she'd get her she'd get her hand in there, and she'd grab out the pumpkin thing and put it in the bowl, and good for her. Anyway, we've covered it all, right? Hey, Jim Carafato's going to join me in just a couple of minutes, and he is uh, going to talk about the troop situation down there on the on the border. And you know what's happening here, people is is there's the left is hoping that like in, like you know Mark Kaysen who continues to fantasize, for instance, about us all packing into a van and going into, although I think he needs to change the vehicle because vans really don't have a good connotation these days. Uh, if, you, if you wind up in a van, you're, you're automatically a suspect of something. So he's envisioning us climbing into some vehicle and and all going to uh, – to, to the federal prison to visit Donald Trump. That's 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 the kind of that's the mind of Mark Kaysen. It's like someday we're gonna go all pile into a van and we're gonna go and visit Donald Trump in federal in Marion prison. That's what we're gonna do. After the feds raise the rates in the bottom it's like, okay, dude, got it. We're gonna go there and visit Donald Trump. So in his mind though, what what they're gonna what they're thinking is they they're thinking this is gonna look like Kent State. Like in their fantasy, people are going, Almond, you know, they don't want people to die. It's like the hell they don't. And, I, and, I, and I'm kind of serious about this uh, to a degree because I, I don't believe that people on the left really do want people to die necessarily. But I guarantee you in the minds of some of these twisted news media people and the left – in their mind, the perfect scenario would be for some guy from the U.S. Army – to pop some 25-year-old dude from Honduras 
right there at the border and just add water and you have a midterm election victory. That's what they are thinking. They want another Kent state is what these people want. And and, and they're not going to get it because Jim Carafano will tell us how this whole thing is, is going to operate in terms of the troops there. And, and, and the way it's planned, and I'll just kind of uh, – Cut to the chase real quickly, though. The way it's planned is that that, uh, there will be no contact in any way, shape, or form between our military and anyone in that caravan. It's just not going to happen. Now, some would say, well, I'd hate to – why are they there then? Well, they're there as support for the people who are guarding the border and and doing all this kind of stuff. And and they will there for support as they go through the asylum process – that these people are all going to have to go through. And coming up to clean Barack Obama's hotel room is not a reason to give you asylum. It's not going to be happening that way. So anyway, they're going to be there. But what they, what they really want, though, they want the scenario where the, uh, the, 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 the gun is pointed right at an innocent 12-year-old Honduran and the Honduran's going to come up and put a daisy in the barrel of the gun. That's what they want, either that or for the gun to go off and to shoot the 12-year-old. But that's, that's what the left is envisioning in their weird, twisted minds. And, and just like we predicted, the, the entirety of the, of, the, uh, of the process now is going to take us right into the weekend and right into the eve of the midterms. So it's all working out swimmingly for the left, although it's not going to work, in my opinion, to uh, to the degree that they want it to. So without further ado, I'm already very late here. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, our national anthem.
Don't wait. The Fed has raised interest rates. That means your minimum credit card payments are going up. Don't let that happen to you. This is James Hawkins of Golden Oak Lending. Now's the time to consolidate your debt. Home values are up, and you can use the smart cash in your home to pay off debt or get rid of expensive PMI. Smart cash is the difference between what you owe and the new value of your home. And Golden Oak still has fixed rates in the threes. Call 567-GOLD. NMLS 1149-37. What's up, everybody? Live from the Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing Studios. Yes, it's Radio Free Almond, RadioFreeAlmond.com, DDTruckUSA.com. Talked to Rick Pogue and Jerry yesterday and Nick Shore. They all went to the Josh Hawley and Lindsey Graham event. I got tied up. I didn't get a chance to get over there, but... I heard it was great, and Lindsey Graham, they said, is littler than I thought he was going to be, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, he's a tough guy, and uh, apparently it worked out great, and uh, Lindsey Graham, I wanted to, I was going to ask him, because because you know exactly how this all went down. Because, uh, because you know what happened now, don't you? Because, uh, Lindsey Graham before this was, uh, was a little bit kind of, uh, annoying. So he was always, uh, kind of, li- always seemingly on TV attacking Donald Trump. And he liked Donald Trump. And after Donald Trump gave out his phone number, and after Donald Trump called him Mr. One Percent, he didn't like that. So he's all he was always kind of like nipping at the heels of Donald Trump. And then suddenly John McCain died. And suddenly Lindsey Graham decided he's gonna ask Megan McCain to go up into uh John McCain's sock drawer and grab his balls back out of the sock drawer. I'm going to go get my balls back out of John McCain's sock drawer. And then there is Lindsey Graham. Tell him the left now to kiss his ass. I mean, that's pretty. <laughs> he, got a, he was on fire there for a while. I don't mean any disrespect to Lindsey Graham. I'm just having fun. I don't know why I go to extremes. There's no... Therefore, or whatever in between. Maybe. Don't kick me off on Facebook, Facebook. You can kiss my ass, Facebook. (laughs) I'm really pushing it here. Okay, 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 okay. Let me just get him. Let me get uh, Carafano on here. Uh, Via Skype, everybody. This is how this is going to work. Good morning this morning, uh, Jim Carafano. Jim Carafano. Jim Par- You know what I was going to do? And maybe I'll still do it. I was going to actually play Budapest by George Ezra 
to intro you, and I completely forgot because I was so into doing oh. my Lindsey Graham imitation, but maybe on the way out, I will give you a little oh. bit of a taste of that George be, Ezra's Budapest. That would be awesome. You know, I was just there, you know. Yeah, I saw, your, pest. <laughs> I saw your pictures. And you know that, right? What's that? You know that, right? So it, there was Buddha, and then there was Pest. You know, one's on one side of the river, and one's on the other side, and they just put them together and made Budapest. Oh, really? Wow. You didn't know that? No, I didn't know that, but I saw your pictures that's, that's, on Instagram. They're beautiful, man. Yeah. That's, it's, um, no, it, it, it's the, uh, the, the parliament building there is, which, you know, once was in half of the, the heart of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was huge, right? Um, the apartment building is really something to to behold. And you, the thing you would have loved, like the Jamie Allman moment, I mean, the moment that Jamie Allman would have gotten down on his knees and just looked to heaven and said, there is a God, <laughs> is um, outside the, the chamber where the members used to deliberate, um, they would go into the hallway for their break, and there are golden... Um, holders for each member to put their down their cigar. Oh wow! If they have to go back in and vote in something, and they don't want to, they want to finish their cigar later. And they're each marked with a number, so you could put your cigar down, and when you came back out, it you could get your cigar back. And I thought, wow. oh, Jamie Allman would just, he would <laughs> say yes. Oh, why it's the why it's the it's the golden cigar holder. <laughs> <laughs> I've discovered the golden cigar holder. <laughs> it's like, it's like the, the epitome of, of century European uh, political incorrectness. Yeah, I know. I, that's crazy. So uh, explain to me, before we get into the, the thing, the troops at the border and that kind of thing, I, 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 explain to me, though, when you talked about Austria, Hungary, and, and that whole empire there, uh, and, and pardon me for, for sounding – uh, so how does it tie into like uh, Franz Ferdinand and that whole group? The Archduke uh, Ferdinand from yeah. was Yugoslavia? Was he? Was he? He was the yeah. He was the the heir to the throne of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. Okay, okay. So that's so that's kind of the the seat of where uh, you know when it comes to World War One starting essentially, or at least how it all right. popped out was when the, with the assassination of the Archduke Franz Ferdinand. Correct. Right. So you have to remember, um, at one time, the Ottoman Empire, um, which was which was the successor of the, the Islamic Empire, right? So um, expanded uh, to the really to the gates of Vienna. They were they were the, the high point of the expansion of the of the Ottoman Empire was the the failed siege of Vienna in 1688, and they controlled. Um, swaths of Eastern Europe. And today, when you go into Eastern Europe, you can still find uh, pockets of Muslim population going back to the Ottoman Empire, particularly in um, Kosovo and Bosnia-Herzegovina. Um, so you, so the, you Austrian, so there were, there were, one of the left over that was the independent state of Serbia, so it, which was butting up against the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And they were constantly in dispute. And the the old Russian Empire um, was playing the same game that Putin does, which was they were arguing that they were the defenders of the uh, the the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East, right? Because when the Ottoman Empire came, it overran Byzantium and it you know 
wiped out the the Eastern Orthodox Church, right? You know, the Hagia Sophia, which yeah. was a big church. You know, they turned that into a um, a mosque. So you had the the Russians, the Austro-Hungarians, uh, and the Ottomans all kind of playing massive geopolitics, and it all kind of the the center point was that was this conflict between Serbia and uh, Austro-Hungary, and when the the Archduke was assassinated, that assassination was burnt, blamed on the Serbians, and so the Austro-Hungarians went to work the Serbians, the Russians backed the Serbians in the other direction. Uh, the Germans had an, the Germans were fine with this because the Germans wanted an excuse to attack France and Russia anyway. So the Germans had a, a alliance with the Austro-Hungarians. So the Germans went to war with the Austro-Hungarians, which really meant that they could then, you know, invade France and Russia. And, and that cascaded into World War One. Well, you know, and, and just even it, just even talking about uh, Franz Ferdinand. And by the way, you know, there's a band named Franz Ferdinand. You, have you have you heard these guys before? Uh, no, but you know, if you go to Vienna and you go to the War Museum, you can see the car that he was assassinated in, and you can see his tunic that he died in with the original bloodstains. Wow! Because you know what. The the, the band. <laughs> uh, that's crazy because the assassination itself was crazy because it was so it was such a uh, the, the people who tried to assess, one guy I think it began with they, they they it was in Sarajevo and they and they and they bomb the guys threw a bomb right. at the motorcade it bounced off the car right and in, uh, into yeah. another car that blew up and one of the assassins took cyanide jumped into a river. And then the cyanide didn't kill him. All he did was puke, and they dragged him out of the river and beat his ass. And then it was, and then the the, the motorcade continued on to the town hall. Right. And what happened was was I mean the assassination was completely botched, and the the uh, the archduke sedan took a wrong turn, and it turned down the street where Princep, one of the assassins, had, was running away, and. And the car just like drove right up to him, and he goes, "Hey, you know," and he and he jumped up and shot the guy. So it was it. These guys were idiots, and uh, you know, but we you know we are worried. You know, there are lots of pressures going on. If it hadn't have been this, it could well have been something else. Yeah, I mean, going back and looking at the German war planning, we we know the Germans wanted a war. The Germans were had uh, an enemy to their east and an enemy to their west, and they were constantly looking for a way out of that. And the reason why they developed a war plan where they could, they thought they could quickly defeat France and then turn around and defeat Russia, and then essentially they would have the security forever. So the, so the Germans were looking for an excuse uh, for war at that point, which is a reminder, never look for an excuse for war. Um, yeah. World War I was... was uh, you know, if it hadn't been for World War II, we we would still look back at World War One and say this is one of the most horrific things that we ever did to ourselves. Um, something like 50 million people died, uh, and, and it was just it was just shocking. I've been reading this book that says modern horror. Okay, the, everybody that's running out to watch Halloween with the you know guys stabbing everybody. That really emerged out of World War One. I. I mean, just our complete shock at the mass death and destruction. Um, 
And then, of course, World War II is even bigger, which is why, you know, we've talked about this in our show before. You know, lots of things can go wrong in the world. You know, you know, you don't like Trump. Fine. Whatever. Okay, you don't like this. You don't like that. Great. But the one thing that we can never do is we can never be foolish enough to think that we could fight a war on a global scale again. And, and we should never be sanguine about conditions that might lead to that. Because the next time we go to kill ourselves, you won't have to worry about global warming anymore because there won't be any people left. I mean, we will kill billions of people in a global war. Yeah. And, and, that's, and people don't get this. If you look at the, the U.S. strategy that Trump put forward for all the yelling about Trump and everything else, it is designed to ensure peace in the three parts of the world that could really lead to a global conflict, which are the Middle East, Europe, and Indo-Pacific. And that's for a reason there. You know, Trump's basically, look, we can get along fine as long as we, the planet doesn't kill itself. And he put a strategy in place to do that. And so Obama was running around, you know, pontificating about global warming and the great threat and everything, signing treaties that actually didn't do anything to impact global warming. Um, Trump's actually rolled up his sleeves and done the hard work of trying to make sure that at least the world can get to another generation and then kind of, you know, like it's their problem. Yeah. Well, you know, you kind of glossed over it, but it's a very interesting cultural kind of phenomenon when you talked about the advent of horror uh, and of, you know, horror films or horror acts mm-hmm. and things like that, uh, because the World War One was so unsettling and and in, in the 19... 19- in the 1917, 16, 18, yep. people were people were really shocked by all of this. I mean, the last time we ever had kind of a conflict similar would be obviously the Civil War, and these people hadn't even most many of them hadn't necessarily known that, uh, and so this was very shocking to our society as we were kind of you know becoming more advanced. Everything else, people were very troubled by by it. It was hard. And it was also. The- the first war where um, a lot of soldiers came home and survived the war, but medicine had reached the point where people who before would have, you know, basically died on the battlefield. You know, now they came home, they came home without limbs. They came home without faces. Um, they came home with uh, what they called shell shock, which we call today PTSD and, and TMI. Um, and, uh, so, you know, the horrors of war came home in physical people in a way that it it, it never did in previous conflicts. Wow. Yeah, that's really. And here's another uh, reminder that we, we need to uh, keep in mind before we get onto the border thing in terms of what happened there with the Franz Ferdinand is um, you should always listen to your wife because I know that, that after the, after the bombing at the first bomb happened in the motorcade, Sophie was like, dude. We need to Dude. get the hell out of here. And, and yeah, he's like, like, no, honey, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> I mean, she's Listen like, to your wife. Yeah, she's like well, telling look at it this way. Look at it this way. It was about 30 years from 18, 20, 23, from, one, from the First World War to Second World War, right? We've, we've already surpassed that, right? We've more than doubled the, the, that period. Um, I, I don't think we give humanity enough credit. For, you know, we haven't had a world war in in almost a century now. Yeah, uh, global poverty is a lot lower. Um, you know, we have accomplished a lot, and you know these these kind of you know ultra you know environmentalists that look at humans as kind of vermin on the earth. Um, 
you know, I, I think humanity's achieved an awful lot. And, and one of my anger is, as we sit here yelling and screaming at each other, because our, our politics happen to be different, right? And we've kind of glossed over our common humanity. And, uh, you know, I think that's sad, but I got to say, I still think this is kind of an, an elitist thing. You know, these, I, I think, it, I don't think the mass of Americans believe that half of America is, is evil. I don't believe that. No. And, and that the other half of America has all the answers and the other half's just evil. And I don't believe most of them believe that. And, uh, and, and to, to the way we talk, the way these, this debate has, you know, gone downhill where literally we talk about our political differences today as if they're akin to the kinds of violence and evil that people like Hitler and Tojo used to, you know, burn through tens of millions of people in World War II is, it's like people need to get some perspective. Dude. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was interesting. One of the, one of the most powerful things I heard uh, the priest say at mass over the weekend was he said, it's interesting because it was during his homily, and he said, "You know, uh, what's curious about our world these days is that everybody's so busy focusing on left or right, they're not looking at the up and the down." Which I thought was really a very interesting, <laughs> yeah. interesting point to make because, in the end, because because to me, if you really got right down to it, as diverse, oh, let's just zero in on the U.S. As diverse yeah. as this country is, and I'm talking about more diverse than it was. Back in the old days, as diverse right. as this country is, you'd think we'd have a lot more conflict uh, than 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 we have. Right. And and when you size it all up, it really is amazing how we all actually get along. Yeah, I I continue to talk to you know people like or kind of wallow in this self anger. You know, I mean, remember '68? I mean, I do. You probably were like in the crib, but um, five Amer- Americans aren't nearly as angry now as we were in '68. I mean. Come on. I mean, I just think that this this has kind of gotten out of control here. I well, mean, when I you, just, uh, you know, Jim, when you look at it, I don't know how we survived it. I, I would love right. to know how we survived. First of all, you so in 63, you have the assassination of a president. And, and then five years later, you have the assassination of a civil rights leader. And then you have the assassination of a leading Democrat candidate for the president, which is Bobby Kennedy. And and you, if I'm telling you, if that happened now, I don't know how yeah. we'd be able to handle all this. I I think we'd actually be pretty resilient. Yeah, I, I guess. I just but... think it's it's the uh, I I just think it's uh, the people that that they they're trading in anger because they don't know what else to do. Yeah, I oh, guess. Yeah. Uh, I, all right. I think that's I think that's right. So okay. Uh, let's go then to the border here. I think people have this interpretation. Speaking of 68, I guarantee you there's a couple of people who I know who are envisioning this Kent State face-off at the border where you're going to have, yeah. uh, you're gonna have a, an army guy with a gun and some 12-year-old Honduran is going to come up and put a daisy in the barrel and they're going to have their midterm elections all sealed. But that's not, gonna, that's not what this troop situation what are these guys going to do these people going to do well yeah first of all, i think under current projections it'll be um december before these before if if the convoy you know if the caravan gets here it'll be december so it'll be after the midterms um the troop deployment this i don't understand this i think it's actually a good example of how the wackiness right 
Um, Obama sent troops to the border. Bush sent troops to the border. They they sent it for similar reasons. There, there was a short-term need for more manpower, and the, that's what the military is there for. U.S. NORTHCOM is the military command that is responsible for this, and part of their planning is to plan for um, migrant crises. And, and as a matter of fact, that's nothing new. We had the military deployed during the um, the Cuban boat list back in the the eighties. Yeah. Uh, so it's we do this, and and the numbers are about the same. And basically, what they do is is they provide manpower to back up the the border patrol and CBP. Um, they they don't have legal authorities to arrest people. Uh, they and and. Uh, so there's really kind of nothing remarkable about it uh, that we've seen so far. And the other thing is, is so the numbers are, are kind of ho-hum. Um, we actually, you know, we've had some, some uh, briefings from the military and so far it sounds like exactly the stuff that they did when Bush and Obama sent troops to the border. So I'm, I'm kind of not sure what the, what the controversy is. Yeah. But, so, yeah, I think I think there's this there was a there was a vision. I mean, I've seen it on some of these panels that are on the news shows of uh, this idea somehow that there's going to be some kind of violent confrontation. But in all likelihood, the the, the American troops uh, won't have any contact at all with these individuals. Correct. Well, that's, I mean, that's typical. That's what happened last time. I mean, like, I don't you know, know what, I don't have foresight. I don't know what's going on there, but. Yeah, this notion of somehow they're going to be, you know, digging trenches at the border and manning them with machine guns is, I mean, that that's that is far from the reality of what's going on. Yeah, I and 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 so uh, the troops will be. So if if they're not going to have any contact with the like with at the border or whatever, then then what are they? What are they doing there? Like, basically, what are they going to be doing? Well, I mean, they're 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 backing up the border patrol. So, so example, one of the things they're doing is providing aviation support, right? So, if the border patrol needs to move a lot of people from one place to another, or they need supplies or something, the the military can do that. Um, they they might help with logistics. I mean, if 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 they do accept numbers that come across the border, they might have to house them at somewhere, and the military might assist with that. So, um, so it's and again, it's nothing new. It's the same stuff they've done before, and it and it's stuff they plan for. I mean, this is Northcom's job to plan to deploy U.S. military forces to assist at the border if there's a migrant crisis. Uh, right. You know, so it's it's not even a, a new thing. So now, now the other question I have is, and I don't know who all these people are, whatever, uh, but is there a possibility that we have to be careful about the possibility? that some of these people might actually purposely try to engage somebody from the military, meaning uh, to, to try to start something. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've already, I mean, look, I mean, the reality is, is we've already had acts of violence. There have been confrontations with the Mexican police and, and some of these people. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. I mean, that's part of the problem is you don't know the full makeup of these convoys who's in there and, and what their, their goals are and their purposes are. So, right. Yeah. Okay, and then, and finally, regarding asylum, uh, the 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 process that I understand it to be is that they go, these people come here or come to the border, and then we we obviously grant them the the ability to explain themselves right. as to why they want asylum, and then if it's not appropriate, 
because if they just want to come here and clean Obama's hotel room, right. that's not right. a grounds for asylum, correct? Yeah, I mean, where it gets confusing is um, if they if there are children involved and there are rules on detention of children, right? Um, and if your policy is you don't want to separate the families from the kids and you can't detain the kids, then what you do is you you have to release the families on, into the United States and uh, then they have to go through their court process. And then if they were already deported. Um, so, you know, I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, maybe they'll bring judges down there. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I'm not privy to actually what, what the plans are. Uh, I, you know, hope is not a plan. So, I mean, I think the number one thing the United States government would like would be working with the other countries to break these, caravans up before they got to the U.S. border. I'm sure that's the, their, the priority strategy right now. Um, if that doesn't work, uh, you have to have a plan B, right? Because um, you can't just hope the first plan works. Uh, so I, I, and uh, so they're obviously going to wind up having to um, detain a number. I mean, again, uh, they're uh, detain a large number of people. And the question is, is then where do you detain them? How do you process that? Uh, I mean, I think what the United States government wants to signal is, is this is not a good way to get in the United States. And part of that deploying the military, I think, does send kind of a deterrent signal. Like, you know, and this happened before when we sent troops to the border before. Just the the fact we were sending troops to the border kind of acted as a bit of a deterrent. Right. Um, but I think if 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 there's, um, you know, uh, that so there might be some deterrent value um, if if people if they just don't do catch and release. Um, you know, that's got some deterrent value. Uh, but, um, you know, but we've got to do some kind of screaming. And we know for a fact, for example, of cases is that there's bad people in there who said, oh, look, this is another chance for me to get back in the United States. And just because I've been convicted of murder, it shouldn't mean I shouldn't get to go back to the United States and hang out somewhere. <laughs> right, right. Uh, okay, and, and briefly, I know that, you, you, I know that you're on limited time, but I, and I've, I've had you for a long time already, but can you explain just briefly, so there are, there are claims that um, from the Honduran government that all this was designed by some uh, leftist or radical interests in, in showing up the government of Honduras or what have you. What's the, what's the, true geopolitical I, type of atmosphere. We're that's in a, right now. a great question. I believe that is true from what we've been able to ascertain that this really started with left-wing uh, agitators, political activists in Honduras trying to embarrass the government. And from there, it just kind of, it kind of grew from there. So um, I, I don't, we don't have evidence that this was some kind of, you know, Soros plot per se. Now, I'm not, I don't know. You know who might have provided additional funding, or who's trying to take advantage of this. But, but we we do believe it started with a, uh, a kind of a left wing activist uh, outfit in Honduras, and it, it just kind of mushroomed from there. Yeah. Okay. Because uh, I, I know that these people, you know, that that, that even in Honduras, for instance, if even if you look at the the real problem there in terms of violence, on the one hand, um, the argument that that is meant to possibly cast a little bit of an aspersion on some of the group members in in the caravan is that their their uh, homicide rate is like it's like 73 per 100,000 compared to like point 
0.009 in Japan. So it's a very it is a violent country. Uh but but these people probably aren't necessarily fleeing violence, right? right? And that, yeah, so the standard is credible fear, right? And and so it can't just be like well my country's really poor. So I want to you can't that that's not a valid qualification for refugee status. And and you can't just say well there's violence in my country, right? Look, I mean, there's violence in Chicago. Do people, if people in Chicago showed up at the border in California and said, "I claim sanctuary because the you know America is violent," I mean, they get laughed out of the office. So, credible fear means that that you have a credible that you personally have a credible fear of violence against you, not that kind of well, there's mean people in 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 my city. So, um, the the Obama administration. They're sad. basically what they said. Oh, credible fear is come here. Tell us you're afraid. You're afraid. Oh, sure. Come on in. Right. That's not what the law actually. I mean, that's not that's a very broad interpretation of the law. Right. So I, I think if you just interpreted the law correctly, um, my guess is very few of these people would actually qualify for real refugee status. And this is a criticism I've made before about this whole thing, which is I think the, the global the global response to refugees is one of the real signs that, that of the deeper humanity that we all have, right? Nation states recognize credible fear. They recognize legitimate refugees. And we do a lot to accommodate that. But here's a problem. When people start playing politics with it, and then they start, in a sense, um, converging, just people wanting to migrate with refugees, because of the backlash against that, that puts the refugee system at risk. And so what one of the consequences could be that real legitimate refugees are going to die because people are so fed up with the abuse of the system that they refuse to take refugees. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's already happening in some parts of Europe, correct? I mean, they're, they're like... It is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so what's happened is people have tried to hijack this issue because they want open borders and everything else. And one of the consequences is that they're, they're putting people's lives at risk, just like people that want to hijack, you know, the, everything in, in a major city in the United States, like Chicago for their socialist agenda. And in the end, you just wind up with people who are, are, are poorer and more at risk of violence, but their hearts are in the right place. And they had good intent. So that's all that matters, which is kind of nuts. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I was just thinking when you were talking about the people who are, uh, uh, wanting to flee violence. I mean, if if that's the if that's the case, I'm sure there are people in the south side of Chicago saying, "Can I get out of here too?" Because uh, yeah, yeah, well, let me go to Canada. Yeah, right. Or, or or wherever wherever they're putting the people who are fleeing the Honduran violence. Uh, I'm sure there are people in the U S. who'd like to go wherever they're going because uh, you know it, it's yeah. It's, well, except they don't want to go there. No, I'm sure they'd be happy to. Yeah, I know, and I know I know the land. Yeah, land bridge. Maybe they. I don't know where would they go. I know Mexico offered to to take them, and they're like, "No, thanks. We're kind of gonna, just going to keep on going." Well, and again, this this is the other thing is is according to the, the international agreements, is you you claim refugee status in the first safe harbor. Right. You do not get to pick the country where you want to be a refugee. And I, and again, I think one of the mistakes of U.S. policy is we shouldn't just be. And what we do is is you know sometimes we'll take refugees to help manage the burden and stuff. But we should not be encouraging kind of um, country shopping. I mean, this is the deal in Europe. You know, look, part of the reason, look, part of its politics, but all these refugees, they just go to like Germany and Sweden. So, so Merkel comes up with this brilliant plan. Well, we're going to distribute the refugees all over Europe. 
But then as soon as they get there, all they do is they turn around, and they go to refuge, they go to the place where everybody else is. And they, right. You know, where do they get the best deal and where's all my other, you know, pisos. So, you know, these little Baltic countries, for example, they take their fair share of a thousand people. And then a year later, you know, there's, there's two of them left and the other 999 are, you know, somewhere else in Europe. Wow. Yeah. I mean, well, could, and then they're dispersing them in some of these smaller towns too, that they're just like, wow. This yeah. Is it was, yeah. Ridiculous. I mean, you know, right. it's, it's, like I said, it, what we've done is, is I think done a disservice to what is essentially a global good. Um, yeah, that's, uh, a... it, and the, 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 the best way to help solve the problem of refugees is, um, to help people not have to get on the road to begin with. Right. Um, you know, what we found in Syria, for example, is by taking a million refugees, it just gave the Russians and the Syrians and everybody else and a, a weapon to do anything worse. It's like, oh, let's just put another million on the road. You know? Yeah. So I, I, Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot of symmetry uh, with, with how we deal with uh, domestic situations in our in our cities. And we just, um, you know, we move people yeah. or we, we bus people to certain schools and then just kind of make – and then, then what's left behind right. are just broken windows and – abandoned buildings and so uh, i don't that, that's not a that's not a doesn't isn't helping anybody so all right well I mean, listen I'm, I'm not disparaging ref- i mean yeah. look i mean not just you know we just um i was just in hungary they you know where they had the the 56 revolution and and we had you know hungarians come to the united states and many of them became great americans you know and made a and and you know we love them and but you know then and yeah, that's uh, some so refugees are fine. You know, yeah, it's playing politics with refugees. It's not a good thing. We got a we got a great pitcher out of the deal for the St. Louis Cardinals, Al Robowski. He's the, the <laughs> known, known as the as the Mad Hungarian. He his I think his yeah. parents came over here uh, back in the day from the from that revolution. So uh, you know, really? hey, you know, I I promised you by the way on the way you out know, I'd play a little George Ezra. Oh, okay. You. No, go ahead. What, what right. were you going to say? No, what no I was going to say, you know who, who uh, the, the hot ticket in uh, Budapest is the Frida Kahlo exhibition. Yeah. The Mexican artist, because apparently she has Hungarian heritage. Oh, no kidding. Maybe everybody's Hungarian. Wow. Even Frida yeah, free Kahlo. Warren's Hungarian. <laughs> right, she, she could run that over on us. Yeah, Frida Kahlo. She's, she's gotten, she's, she, she's gotten getting her due lately. I'll tell you that. Yeah. I think she hung out with Pablo Picasso for a little while there. Yeah. I don't know. Do you know that that Dolly was a fascist? Was Robert he really? Dolly. Yeah, he was not. He had wacky politics. Yeah, he also he also uh, had a had a way of painting a clock that made it look like it melting. It was melting. Yeah, I'm still working on that one. Salvador Dolly. I don't know what, I'm still working on that. I know, man. This, is, this will go down in history as the most wide-ranging conversation ever. <laughs> well, welcome back uh, from Budapest, brother. And I, I'm so glad you're able to join us and cut through some of the uh, the weeds for us, buddy. And a great conversation, too. We le- always learn a lot from you, man. Love it. Hey, good talking to you. Okay, you too. That's Jim Carafano in D.C. Yeah. Good morning this morning, everybody. Uh, I love Jim Carafano. I love talking to him. Learned so much from him all the day, just whether it be on cultures or travel. 
other countries. And then we also hit the hit the hard stuff. That's great. Baby, if you owe me, then all of this will go away. We are live from the Discovery Design Truck Care and Manufacturing Studios. DDTruckUSA.com. Don't forget, folks, I gotta tell you, I love Michael Proctor and Proctor Drapery and what he's done for me. Three different projects he's done in, in my home and did these beautiful, beautiful side panels in the dining room that I just love. He came up with the fabric himself. It was kind of hard to kind of figure out what the vibe was. When you do window treatments, one of the things that uh, Michael tells me a lot of people want is they want to be... They want people to make recommendations to them. They they want to they they don't want to go out to some place and just wander around some showroom. They want to be able to have somebody to to kind of advise them on what looks great in their home. And oftentimes they spend extra money, and they spend extra money on an interior designer. And that's just an extra cost you don't need when you have an interior designer that's already inside of the brain of uh, Michael Proctor. Proctor, spelled like Dr. ProctorDrapery.com. And what he's able to do is he's able to uh, come in, size up the room. And I say come in, yeah. Yeah, he he's, has his mobile design unit. So he is able to come into your house, drive up to your doorstep, come into your house, and help you out that way. You never have to go anyplace. And he's got a great eye, and he's got all the kind of all the access to any kind of material you need and any kind of woven wood shade or Norman shutter. He has uh, also automatic shades. You can just push up a button. You're right then and there. Dr. Deputy took me up on my uh, suggestion. He reached out and he did. His whole office has been redone by... Michael Proctor. Proctor spelled like Dr. ProctorDrapery.com. You know, it's interesting when uh, Jimmy was talking about how these mass exoduses uh, don't really ultimately help the problem. I mean, we all are for helping refugees and that kind of thing, but a refugee situation doesn't really end up helping anybody uh, because what happens is you get people who are coming into other countries who are rudderless and jobless and dependent. And unless you're fleeing something that is just an intolerable situation, uh, then uh, it, it becomes a burden on what's left behind. And, and I will give you an example of, of that. And it's happening now in Central America with people just leaving there because they just don't want to be there anymore, not necessarily because of violence, but because there's a better opportunity someplace else it doesn't encourage you at that point when you can just leave someplace. It doesn't encourage you to better the place that you're in. And we have a really good example about that of that here in uh, St. Louis. And yeah, my mother-in-law just said Michael Proctor does wonderful things. He does, Kathy. Thank you for that. But the uh, we have a great example of that and and that whole ghettoizing that that just simply fleeing does. Uh, and we saw that with the inner city of St. Louis and with the school system. And while normally it seems that individuals who are, for instance, against forced busing 
like in Boston, they had a big problem up there. And a lot of that had to do with, uh, with people who just didn't like black people. I mean, there were, there were people who were prejudiced uh, and didn't want busing because they didn't want the black kids out in the suburbs and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's one reason that some people were against busing. But believe it or not, there were also people who had reasonable concerns about what busing what desegregation was actually going to do uh, to the community that was shipping out the people who were living there. And so while busing and desegregation and that program, the busing program in St. Louis, made a lot of liberals feel good uh, because because that's the typical kind of uh, liberal viewpoint is that uh, is it well not typical liberal but 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 a common liberal view, viewpoint is the is the soft bigotry of low expectations so to speak and so you you feel there's this idea this attitude among some people on the left and uh, the, some people in the uh, uh, in, in the more liberal mindsets in the Democratic Party is that blacks cannot possibly exist successfully without the aid of white people. And, and, and that's actually what, what is a common theme, and that's what GW one time talked about, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Is, is, and, and there are black people who believe that too. There are black people who believe that blacks are not successful unless whites take care of them too. And and th- those people are the ones who don't necessarily demand excellence. They just uh, call you racist if you're not willing to help. And, and, and those are the, you know, the Cory Bookers of the world and the Kamala Harris's of the world and the Maxine Waters of the world and the Al Sharpton's of the world. Al Sharpton's probably the most, uh, most heinous example of, uh, of the soft bigotry of low expectations, and that's with his own race. So, so back in the day when when busing happened in St. Louis, uh, that was a, that was a uh, the that was a situation where there was this idea somehow that I know what we'll do uh, by to help black people. What we'll do is uh, we'll send them to white people. And so they said, this, we, this is a brilliant idea, uh, these uh, white liberals thought, and so did some, uh, some uh, black people uh, who were, throwing their, who were uh, throwing their own people under the bus, so to speak. Pardon the pun. So what they did was they said, I know what we'll do. We'll bus students, black kids out to Parkway because that's, 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 that'll be good for the black students because to be among white people and better schools, that'll solve the problem. And plus it gets them out of our hair. And so uh, we can just force this problem onto these other schools and, and, and force these children to uh, go to school with white kids. And that'll, that'll also solve the racism problem because uh, now we have blacks and whites together in one school and we have uh, integration, and that'll be perfect, and blacks will love it because they're finally with uh, King Whitey. Well, the problem with that uh, whole scenario is that it doesn't work that way, and it's demeaning to black kids to wake them up at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning and bust them 25 miles away to another school. 
how blacks and white leaders thought that would be a good thing for black families is completely beyond me. But they did it anyway. And, and you know what happens when you bus a child to another school 15, 20 miles away from their home? That also means that their parents are 15, 20 miles away from home, uh, from school. And you know what that means? That means when you have PTA meetings and you have school events and those kinds of things, uh, it's hard sometimes for the parents to, to get out there. And sometimes, particularly in the inner city, let's say uh, where, where there is a level of, uh, of income disparity in terms of low income, some people only have one car. And so uh, dad might be at work or maybe there's even a single family, single parent family, uh, and there's one car. So at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon when there might be some kind of school meeting or school event or whatever uh, or even an athletic event or what have you, uh, that, per- that person is, uh, is, is unable to get there because the car is being used for, for dad's job or maybe they're at work. But they can't, they can't get out there. Whereas if you had a school around the corner, you could maybe even walk there, whatever. Some kids who are bust wind up playing sporting events uh, and can't get home. So they don't actually participate in sporting events because they got to get the bus back home to, the, to their place. So they, they can't participate. And, and so they're always, you know, they're always kind of sitting as a subculture in these schools. So, so, so all the, the big plans that all these liberals and, and, and the soft bigotry of low expectation people had, all these plans, all they did was simply create another problem. And that is, okay, now we have blacks who don't live in this area now going to school. And, and I don't know whether you understand the kind of the psychological mindset. They're never really, they never really feel like they're part of that school, that community, because actually they're not. So they never really feel part of the community. So, and, and, and as much as the schools try to make them feel at home, they're really not at home. How is that, how is that a positive, good thing for a young black child? How, how is it possible? Now, obviously, they have better opportunities, which is good because you can see that. But, but, it's a, but it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because the more you move kids out of the schools in the inner city, is what's the pressure then to have a better school in the inner city? There is no pressure at all. So you have a, a ghettoizing of the existing schools and the kids who aren't lucky enough to get out have to go to these schools that are, aren't, that are not up to snuff. Some of them have had to close or whatever. And, and, and then, then, then you have the depletion of the neighborhood. You have the diminishment of the quality of the neighborhood. So you close a school or there's not, or it's not a good enough school because, it, because you're busy, your resources are directed out to Parkway. Suddenly, your schools suck. And you know what happens when your schools suck? People don't want to live in your city. And you know what happens when people don't want to live in your city? Companies don't want to come to the city. They don't want to set up headquarters in the city. They don't want to. They don't. And, and by the way, 
I'm talking about a regional situation here. So uh, the, the companies that, that uh, w- when they look at places to go, they look at s- school quality oftentimes. And if the schools aren't up to snuff, they're not coming here. Because they have people who work at their companies who are going to be reliant on, on the, uh, on the on the school system for their educating their children. And so then you have a situation where you, there's no incentive at all to improve the quality of the schools that are already there, and so you just simply leave it to rot. And when you leave things to rot, people see it, and they're not coming to your area. Which is why now we don't we have areas of North St. Louis, for instance, that are completely shot because families aren't living there. Why would you move into a neighborhood with a with a closed down school in it, or or why would you do any anything of the sort there? And so so that that's that that's the result of the big liberal wet dream that Whitey is the savior of the black community. And let's just ship these kids out to Parkway, and then we'll just solve the racism problem, wipe our hands of it all, and and not and 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 then meanwhile you've you've got you've destroyed your city. And 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 communities like I will tell you, you know that that new um, that new defense agency that's that's being built in Hyde Park. What is that called? Can't remember what that's called. Do you think the people who are who are working there uh, are are going to be living in the city of St. Louis? I think it's right near the Bottle District. There, they they. Uh, do you think the people who are working at this defense? I think it's a defense mapping agency or something along those lines. I remember the whole thing. Do you think the, the people who live there, uh, who work there, are going to live in the city? Hell, no. I mean, I doubt it very seriously, but. How great would it be if you had people who were uh, – yeah, okay, thank you, Jeff Campbell. Thanks, buddy. NGA West. NGA West. Thank you, guys. Uh, do you think those people are going to live in that, uh, in that city, uh, in, in St. Louis, in, in that neighborhood even? No. Hell no, they're not. I mean, they should, uh, but they're not. Why would you? If, if you, uh, you because your schools aren't good enough, uh, why, why would you live there? In fact, there are some people who, uh, you know, there are people who have been considering maybe uh, building a, uh, you know, like a, a bar restaurant around that area to serve the people who who work there. But I guarantee you, uh, you better just do lunch because the people who work there aren't coming into your place after work. They're leaving to go to their own neighborhoods. So even even a business that wants to kind of set up and do a uh, uh, and do some kind of uh, and 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 cater to the crowd there, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna stay unless unless you're just there you know doing a de- dealing with the lunch crowd, uh, you're not gonna really be successful because those people aren't staying, they're getting in their cars and they're getting on forty and or seventy and going west. That's how it all works. So, uh, congratulations to the to the left uh, uh, or to the liberal mindset uh, for the basically destroying the city of St. Louis with their with their policies. That's what's crazy about this whole thing. And again, uh, I, me saying that 
is is not a is not a racist comment uh, to 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 analyze desegregation as being a complete and total bomb. We we have a situation here where uh, you have a uh, you, you have an issue even with blacks, and and I, I'll I'll refer you to Freeman Bosley, and you guys might not uh, take him, you know. Uh, seriously, I don't know. I, I happen to like the guy. Uh, he has his problems. I get it. And as mayor, he had his problems. Uh, but but Freeman Bosley is one of those individuals, one of those black leaders who believed that desegregation, that program destroyed the city of St. Louis. Because I'll tell you, you destroy the schools, you destroy the city. That's just kind of how it all fleshes out. And, and, and that's how things that's how things roll. And yeah, you guys are also pointing out. Krista just pointed out that uh, uh, Crown Candy and Linda—they're they're possibly going to be moving moving out of that area there. That's the one thing that's still there in Hyde Park and in uh, on Twentieth Street. Uh, Crown Candy's there. It's the safest place in the world because all the police are there. Plus, they've got great the BLTs. Man, get a BLT there. You don't have to eat bacon for a month. It's a great place, but you know, uh, in all practicality, you know, it, it's it, it, the Crown Candy has stayed in that area, in spite of the fact that there has been some deterioration around them, uh, and and despite the fact that there have been, uh, you know, that that neighborhood. I mean, they had the Gateway Mall there and everything else, and and that's another problem with the city of St. Louis. And 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 believe me, you guys are like, well, I don't have to really care about the city because it's it doesn't it doesn't make a big it's not a big deal. But it is regionally, it's it's hugely important to have a successful city. Uh, and, and even though it's not even the county seat, because we're weird that way, because we're the only community outside of Baltimore that has the same structure, where you have a county and a city that are completely separate. It's just like. It boggles the mind, but it was because uh, the uh, the city folk didn't want the county folk bothering them. That was back in the day, post reconstruction. Uh, anyway, so that that was the other problem with with the city of St. Louis is that we we had investors like Paul McKee and these guys who were buying up all that land out there and uh, in, in Hyde Park near the Bottle District, all that kind of stuff. The Bottle District's now suffering the same thing that some of that area up there suffered before, and that is people are sitting on property that they bought in hopes of developing it, and so even if a family wanted to move in and, and gentrify the area, you couldn't do it. Now, the city has uh, the, 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 some of the other neighborhoods, Benton Park, Tower Grove Park, the Grove, uh, and, and Soulard and those places have really grown and, and, and become uh, great, amazing places uh, thanks to the people who were living there. But imagine you could have that same thing up in North St. Louis, but, but, but you don't because it's, everybody owns everything up there uh, and they don't live up there. So these guys all, you know, Clarence Harmon, you know, he wanted to build a golf course up there. Can you believe that they got this big, big idea to have a golf course up in Hyde Park, and 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 uh, and so Paul McKee bought up all this land, everything else at dirt cheap, and then just sat on it. So all that area up there around Crown Candy, the Gateway Mall, uh, all those places up there are basically owned by one person, and you're not you're not getting in there. 
because they're waiting for their big, you know, gravy train to come along. And, and that's how it worked. I mean, that's, that's, and, and so the city just sits there and, and that area, but I'll tell you, Hyde Park and that whole area around Crown Candy is a, is a beautiful area. I mean, it's, it's amazing, but you've got the broken window theory and you've got the, uh, uh, what happens, and then and then then crime happens, and uh, and then suddenly uh, your city kind of uh, is in the turlet, and that's kind of I think what uh, what happened here. I don't know, maybe not, maybe I'm wrong about everything. Who knows? But that's just what I'm my effort to give you some analysis of what's going on after talking to uh, Jimmy Carafano. Good morning, this morning. Yeah, we are live from the Discovery Design Truck Care Manufacturing Studio. Matthew Mitchell, the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. 855, quote me, low premiums and low deductibles. All at the same time, almost impossible to find anywhere else, but the Allstate Agency and Matthew, they make it happen. They make it happen. And do great work. Matthew's just a phone call away for you, so it's always great to have an agent that is right at the ready. 855 Quote Me, the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency. Yeah, uh, Matt was talking about downtown. You know, the other area over there near uh, off of 44 in Vandeventer, that area is built up too. There's a restaurant, Olio, uh, is there. New restaurants and things like that. So things are really creeping up. But, you know, that, that all, all that could happen in North St. Louis, too. It's, and, and, but, but they've given up. They've given up. Given North St. Louis up for dead, unfortunately. And, and that's just uh, that's a shame because it affects everybody. called the Gaslight Anthem, by the way. So just want you to know. We're in the Gaslight Studios, Gaslight Anthem. There you go. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, I really had a good time with the kids last night carving pumpkins. I've got, finally got everything complete, so I'm going to put a big Facebook page up of all my Halloween festivities. I'm looking forward to uh, eating the pumpkin seeds I made, too, because those are delicious. I'm pretty good at making baked pumpkin seeds. This time I didn't burn them. I'm really happy about that. Also, tomorrow is Halloween, so Lacey Reinhardt is going to be in from hauntedstltours.com. I'm thinking of wearing a costume, man. Are you going to wear a costume? Okay. I don't know what I'm going to wear, but thinking about getting dressed up for Halloween. Why not? I'm out, you know. Why would I not dress up for Halloween? I think I will. <laughs> oh, I actually, I, I I love Halloween. I love the whole the whole vibe. But I'm yeah okay. I'll, I'll dress up. Are you going to surprise us with the costume there, uh, Matt? You gonna, uh, okay, all right. We'll have a we'll have a fun time. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and uh, and uh, dress up and, and and let her rip. Do you see? Uh, did you see President Trump go after 
Gillum down there in Florida. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, uh, this race down in Florida, the governor's race is going to be really pretty amazing. I, I, I happen to think that, uh, the Republicans could maybe have a uh, stronger. Uh, well, oh, oh, John, real quickly, John's pointing out too. Um, the, uh, you know, uh, downtown. It's my understanding there are upwards of like ten hotels being built downtown. I mean, it, it's 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 pretty. So downtown is working. What I'm saying is we need to we need to go ahead and and release some of that property up there on the north side. And start building that up and, and getting people living there and, 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 and re-firing up the schools and everything else. And it's not just dumping money there. You're not just using government money. You're, you're actually just trying to get you – know, there are people who would love to gentrify and, 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 uh, and, and improve uh, the Hyde Park area. Up there. That bottle district up there is really nice. I mean there are two areas here that I think could be – uh, fantastic! It's the, it's the near north side, up near Cass and Broadway, up there that area up there, and then Carondelet on the south south end is is ripe for just going crazy. Uh, and and that place down there, Carondelet actually is one of the oldest, uh, one of the oldest uh, uh, villages. There, there are there are homes down there like from the 1700s. I don't know whether people really realize that or not, but it's a pretty, pretty beautiful place down there. Anyway, I, Ron DeSantis, uh, I think, could be a stronger candidate as far as I'm concerned. I don't always think he's always. He, he reminds me of a uh, Republican Steve Stinger. He's just always a little bit kind of uneasy sometimes, and but but Gillum is is a piece of work and president Trump was interviewed about him. And uh, this is what he had to say about, about Gillum. I mean, this is on the Ingram angle. Now for more of my interview with president Trump. I don't know what's wrong with this sound. Can we move to my, some individual my problem, races, my Florida? Sure. Obviously so important to 2020, but important period. Andrew Gillum against Ron DeSantis, uh, Ron DeSantis, Congressman, strong supporter of yours. Over the weekend, you called Andrew Gillum. You referenced him being a thief. What did you mean by that? Well, the FBI offered him tickets at $1,800 a piece, and he took them. He took a trip with the same FBI agent. I guess he was posing as a developer or something. The man, Stone Cold, took this stuff. I don't even think he should be allowed to continue on with the He responded today by calling you weak. You're howling because you're weak. That's what he said in a tweet. I haven't haven't heard that one lately. That's okay. Good. That's a change of pace. (laughs) Look, here's a guy that, in my opinion, is a Stone Cold thief. Wait, wait. I I love it. I I love it. I love it when President Trump is like, you know, oh, yeah. Um, Tell me again how weak I am, okay? I've heard that before. So uh, I love Laura Ingram. She did a great job with this one here. The quality well, took this stuff. I don't even think she, he should be allowed to continue on with the He race. responded today by calling you weak. You're howling because you're weak. That's what oh, he I'm said weak. in a tweet. I haven't, I haven't heard that one lately. That's okay. Good. That's a change of pace. Look, here's a guy that, in my opinion, is a stone-cold thief. And his, his city, Tallahassee, is known as the most corrupt in Florida and one of the most corrupt in the nation. He's a disaster, and how he's even close to being tied is hard to believe. But Florida can't have... If Florida has a governor like that, and I know Florida better than I know practically anywhere, Florida will become Venezuela. It will be a disaster. (laughs) And you have Ron DeSantis, 
who is a Harvard-Yale guy. He's had a really terrific, you know, he's a very good person. He's going to be a very, he's going to be a very good to a great governor. This other guy is a stone cold. In my opinion, he's a thief. How can you have a guy like this? And you just look at his record. Also, look at the job he's done as the mayor of Tallahassee. He's a total disaster. John James, of course. Yeah. So, so anyway, that's that's President Trump going after Gillum, and, and, and rightly so because uh, this is this is a big race. This is an important race, and uh, certainly for the. Uh, for the folks out there in uh, not only in Florida, but uh, the governorship is it's important to have uh, a Republican as a governor of Florida. We've had for the past, you know, decade or so, you know, you had, you had Jeb Bush, who did a pretty good job and all the other guys. And you just you, you, you need that. And DeSantis is a strong candidate, but he could be stronger. But Gillum, I don't know how it's the same confusion I had with this Beto O'Rourke guy. How is it possible that these guys on the left can have so much swing. And again, I don't really believe the polls, but uh, so much swing and swagger uh, in spite of the fact that they are just disasters. Gillum himself. I mean, no, no one who's a Republican would ever get away with the kind of corruption charges that have been leveled against a guy like Gillum. And I, I happen to believe to a large degree, it's because of his race that they're not wanting to go near him. But but I don't know how that applies to Beto O'Rourke. Uh, he he is uh, he says that his own his his mother, by the way, supports him, and uh, and and he claims that his mother has been a lifelong Republican before his candidacy. But even CNN has pointed out that this is yet another falsehood being delivered by Beto O'Rourke down there in Texas, another race that we're watching really closely. And and uh, Ted Cruz, f- for whatever reason, is getting a run for his money in Texas, of all places, uh, against a, a dyed-in-the-wool, far-left winger like Beto O'Rourke. Anyway, he says his mom supports him, even though she's been a lifelong Republican. CNN, of all places, decided they were going to fact-check this. And they say that Beto O'Rourke's mother has has actually voted in Democratic primaries in 15 of the last 17 primary elections she has participated in, including the presidential primaries in 2000, 2008, 2012, and 2016. Can you imagine having this this poor thing, Beto O'Rourke's mom, having to uh, go through a CNN fact check? The rigors of a CNN fact check. His mom, for crying out loud, dude! Why? Why would you put your mom in this situation? She also made campaign contributions to Obama and a congressional candidate who is uh, also a Democrat, Veronica Escobar. Um, <clears throat> so O'Rourke is trying to claim that his mom is a lifelong Republican, and even she supports him. And and it's like, wait a minute. Uh, and, and that's usually what happens when you get these people who are uh, – when they attack Trump. And he's like, I've been a lifelong Republican, but I don't like blah, blah, blah. This is horrible, blah, 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 blah. And it's always used, but the media loves it when you say you're a lifelong Republican and then you proceed to attack a Republican. They love that. So Beto O'Rourke thought maybe that would help, and uh, it didn't because now 
uh, we have another example of Beto O'Rourke, aside from his whole drunk driving thing and all that stuff, where he where he left the scene of an accident, uh, that 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 caught in yet another lie, another lie, Beto O'Rourke, and and here's a guy who's supposed to be uh, on his way to. To, to becoming the next senator from from the great state of Texas, you got to be kidding me! By the way, did you see this little bit uh, from a uh, individual who is now saying, and this is uh, this is a uh, Emily J- Jahinsky, uh, and, and and this is a person who is claiming uh, that she doesn't really get this whole idea of of. Uh, CNN being the target of chance at Trump rallies. And so uh, she's on with uh, the the Media Matters guy, Howard Kurtz, and she's talking about CNN and and how CNN CNN. ultimately – hold on a second here, baby – how CNN became actually a victim last week. Another victim because the, the Trump rallies were all chanting CNN sucks. And so uh, Emily, who uh, she's a conservative writer, and these are this is always kind of like uh, these people who they claim are conservatives and conservative writers and that kind of thing. Oftentimes, I I don't buy it for one second. But anyway, um, she's talking about CNN, and she can't she can't figure out why. why people are are claiming that that CNN uh, doesn't deserve these chants and that this somehow is a, is is a real problem? So um, occasionally Emily will uh, come out as a conservative writer and say something kind of off the grid. It's like that doesn't sound too conservative to me. But this time she explains exactly why when these people are chanting CNN sucks. Uh, they actually have a reason to chant CNN sucks. It was kind of nice to see Emily come through for us I think on you're this in one. We're in a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation. Once Donald Trump starts, then the media fights back, and it's not a very presidential thing to start. Well, yeah, there was, by, by the way, some divisiveness in this country before Donald Trump was elected. Sure. Let, let me, let's turn the camera around, because here you have Donald Trump saying the media should be more civil, and I'm seeing very little self-reflection on that. Isn't it true that cable news and the web reward divisive rhetoric and play up inflammatory sound bites. And and by the way, how is it that the media can can possibly blame President Trump for divisiveness when all President D- Trump has been doing is defending himself against charges levied by members of the media? I mean, how is it possible that a guy like Acosta cannot be remotely perceived as a divisive individual himself when all he does is stand up and ask questions that are accusatory and insinuate President Trump is a racist. Because remember when President Trump said, yeah, I'm, I am a nationalist. I put America first. And, and Jim Acosta's like, yeah, but aren't you saying you're a white nationalist? Now, how, how is it possible that President Trump, in that, in that one example, can possibly be the guy who caused the division in that little uh, confab, in that little uh, discussion. I'm a nationalist. Oh, but that does that mean you're a white nationalist? Who's the person starting the fight there? It's Jim Acosta, who believes that President Trump is a racist. So he's going to go on, and he's going to make sure he 
uh, he, he makes it clear that President Trump is a racist by putting words into the president's mouth. Yeah, you're a white nationalist. So now, so now suddenly we have to believe that the president's the one who's causing all the trouble? I mean, and you can see how all these stories are reported. It doesn't matter whether it's the, the border issue, whether it's the, uh, the, 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 the trade issue, whether it's the tariff issue, whether it's the economy. It doesn't matter. It's always President Trump being, being positioned in the news media as the evildoer, as the guy is doing something to somebody. When we elected – President Trump is a duly elected president. And I'm, I'm hearing again since Hillary opened her big mouth about how she wants to be president, but really doesn't want to have to work to run run again. Well, you know, she did receive three three million more votes than than President Trump did. That's true. And guess what? It doesn't matter one bit because you're you're apples to oranges on this one because it doesn't matter. Thank God that you receive more votes. That's not how this republic works. We are a representative republic. The electoral college is what decides who becomes president. We don't, we don't decide based on a, uh, a majority of votes. And, and the founding fathers made sure of that. So, that, so, that. so whenever somebody says to you, well, she received three million more votes, who gives a flying F? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just because the city of New York came out in droves for her and the city of Miami and the city of Dallas and the city of San Francisco, that doesn't matter in, 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 in the construct of our republic. It doesn't matter, and thank God it doesn't, because otherwise she'd be president. She's not. This is what's been difficult for me to watch as a conservative, someone who has monitored just terrible media coverage for years. And it's part of the reason that I came to the city to do what I do, um, because I grew up so frustrated. This is Emily with The Federalist. It's it's a hard. I hesitate to talk about it now because obviously CNN was the victim this week. They they had a device sent to their headquarters, whatever. But when you see the uh, when you see at rallies people chanting CNN sucks, I would never do it personally. But CNN makes no effort to understand why people feel that way. They yeah, do- Emily's great because she, she's you know she's getting to it, and and she she wouldn't say it personally. I don't know why. I'd say CNN sucks in a second, and I love it when they say CNN sucks. To CNN, that's even better. But I'm sorry, that's divisive. Never mind. Opposite, right? They, they, you know, act like they're the victims that they've done nothing wrong to deserve this, and they have played. I mean, the chirons that CNN ran on their lower thirds this week, some of them were ridiculous, and that's what gets people so upset. And so there's no room for violence. There's no room to be sending devices to CNN. It has to stop. I, I hate it, but there needs some self-reflection. I yeah, I mean, certainly. I mean, and 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 you know what? It's funny how. Uh, and Emily points to CNN needing self-reflection. And again, I don't want this to to be perceived as me supporting sending Bugs Bunny bombs to people or pipe bombs to people, whatever. But it, it, it should not be missed here that the people who received these packages are people who have also caused a great deal of division in this country as well and, and, and incited people. And and called even for civil wars, which is what Maxine Waters did. I don't I don't care what people say or how they say it. The fact of the matter is, uh, the the uh, the the situation is that Maxine Waters wanted to sick Americans onto other Americans. That's inexcusable. Is that grounds for sending her a pipe bomb? No. 
But Maxine Waters has to take some responsibility for this so-called atmosphere that she says is toxic because she's toxic. But it's funny how and, – and that's why this idiot who sent these bombs and, and did this kind of thing – first of all, it's so surprising that actually he, he did that because um, – I thought for sure it could not possibly have been somebody who supports the president because all this has done is created a a level of uh, of victimhood for the people who least deserve it. CNN, Maxine Waters, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, whatever whatever you want, whoever you want to say, um, these people. If you had to compile a list of people who are most culpable for the chaos that we're seeing in this country and most culpable for throwing bombs themselves, that list would be the same list that Bozo used to send pipe bombs. And again, I'm not saying they deserve the pipe bombs. What I'm saying is it couldn't have happened to a more sinister uh, chaotic group of people. And, and again, that's not me excusing it. I'm just telling you, none of these people took the opportunity to say, yeah, you know, it's crazy. Uh, I don't, I'd certainly, uh, in fact, they went the other way with it. They, 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 they decided to go ahead and instead say, this is all President Trump's fault, acting as if they never were even part of uh, the the process leading up to some of the chaos we're seeing right now, and again, I don't think anybody deserves uh, to get uh, to to have pipe bombs sent to them. That's not what I'm saying, but I am saying that uh, that at some point somebody's going to have to take ownership of what they've done, and this and the and the whole problem with this pipe bomb thing that this idiot did was it gave all these people uh, a leg up to actually play the victims. When, when they're not victims. And CNN getting the pipe bomb, that's one element of victimhood, but CNN has been victimizing Trump supporters and Trump for two and a half, three years now. And so, sorry, I'm not buying into the, to the poor CNN story here any more than I'm buying into the poor Hillary, poor Maxine, poor Corey, poor Joe, poor Robert De Niro. Sorry, I'm not on that, uh, on that train. So, um I'll just uh, leave it at that. I'm trying to play this song here. I can't do it. Where are we having internet? There we go. Good morning this morning, everybody. Don't forget, I got to get my Santino Cigars and Cocktails signed back. I can't remember. Was I supposed to pick that up? Or were they going to bring it to me? I can't remember now. Maybe I don't have it because I didn't go get it. Come on, people. Keep your hands to yourself. You bother me at the gasoline station. Lover boy. Is it a lover boy or a lover boy? Santino Cigars and Cocktails, your place for cigars, 
Fresh and all the liquor you can love. They've got your bottle at Santino's Cigars and Cocktails. Vogel Road, beautiful, beautiful Arnold. Right on, people, down there in God's Country South, as opposed to God's Country West. Uh, God's everywhere, so I just like to call things God's Country for the hell of it, you know what I'm saying? doesn't seem to go over. That kind of language doesn't seem to go together, does it? I call it God's country for the hell of it. That doesn't make sense. It might make sense, but it's probably not proper. You know, it's funny. I was asked this the other day about, about evil... <laughs> I get into the strangest conversations with people, but it's true. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a, uh, and I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to cause an argument with people. So I'm not, I'm not interested in, any, I don't want anybody fighting with you, and I'm not going to fight with you either. But it is an interesting discussion. Um, oh shit! They, yeah, I was too, too much hubris there, my friends. Cut me off of Facebook. Damn it, for the Georgia satellites? I let it go too much. Sorry. I I, I let it go. I, I shouldn't have I shouldn't have uh I shouldn't have done that and, and I, I, I let it go and and uh I try sometimes it just, but I never know I never know what which um I never I never know what song is going to get me kicked off? Like I, I played, uh, I played George Ezra and I played the uh, Billy Joel and I played, uh, what did I play before that? I can't remember. A um, couple other songs there, and 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 they never they never kicked me off. But but they. Uh, but this time they uh, they did for Georgia satellites of all things. I, I just never I never know uh, how that works or why that works that way. But uh, but but and part of it has to do with the fact that I did play the song and I left it kind of on for a little while. And I'm I sometimes can get the rhythm and 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 turn the song down a little bit beforehand or talk over it or whatever. But I kind of. Let that go a little bit longer. There's a there's a there's an art to it, that's for sure, of avoiding the Facebook police. But but I have not been able to uh, to actually nail that art down necessarily. Uh, by the way, some of you have also mentioned uh, to me. In fact, many of you this week have mentioned to me uh, uh, problems with the app, and uh, we're trying to figure out whether or not it's just an update. Oftentimes, it can be your phone if your phone isn't updated. But I think that's not the case anymore. I think now we have an issue where we're going to have to figure out the uh, the app. Are we back on there, Matt? Okay. Uh, we're going to have to figure out uh, uh, some update with the app or do whatever because uh, because I'm sorry about that. But people have uh, have been complaining about it this week in particular. Uh, it's been an issue, right? Just Monday and yeah, yesterday and and today, it's been um, it's been an issue for people. So. Uh, we're we're in the process of trying to figure that part of it out, uh, but but we're uh, we're definitely 
on our way to to improving that situation and and figuring that out. And uh, hey, Jimmy, Jimmy Buziel, uh we're going to get our PJ's uh, November Radio Free Almond Happy Hour going. Okay, we're going there over there in beautiful Sunset Hills. So we're gonna we're gonna do that. Uh, so yeah, the uh, we've had some issues with it, so we're gonna probably look at at, at updating it or doing it. I've talked to Ryan about it, and we're trying to figure out like what what the hell is going on there. Uh, and so, uh, but it's just been this week for some reason. And, and sometimes it's a matter of the app itself needing to be updated on a computer because that's, or, or you know, updated somehow, some way, shape or form. Uh, but, but I will tell you oftentimes when people have had problems, it's been their phone, uh, JP's corner and sunset Hills. That's right, man. We'll get, we'll get that all fixed up there, Jimmy. Uh, and and get out there in November for the Radio Free Almond Happy Hour. So anyway, I was uh, before I was so rudely taken off by Facebook and uh, and and uh, because of I played Georgia Satellites just uh, uh, just uh, too mu- too long and, and too loud. Uh, this I, this kind of, I had a discussion about uh, and it was a lofty discussion about the existence of evil and the existence of the devil. And Satan and, you know, and, and hell and heaven and that kind of thing. And whether or not it actually truly exists or whether or not it's just kind of a concept. But uh, I'll, before I do that, I'll play Howard Dean uh, since he's talking about the struggle of good versus evil. And he, and he calls President Trump evil. Now, keep in mind, I've never... <laughs> I don't believe that my political opponents uh, or people who disagree with me politically are evil. Uh, evil is a pretty strong word uh, when you use it. Uh, it it's, it's a very strong word, and people who throw it around like Howard Dean clearly don't know exactly what evil is or appreciate uh, what it truly is. And, you know, even when President Bush was like talking about the axis of evil, I mean, it's pretty it's a pretty lofty concept there. But here's Howard Dean talking about uh, about President Trump. He's brilliant. Evil lurks in the hearts of men. (laughs) And it does. And what Trump has tapped into is evil uh, and eventually will overcome that because the Republicans are always about the past and they're always about fear of the future. And the Democrats have made plenty of mistakes, but they are about the future and, and idealism and making America a better place. Mm-hmm. I think in the end, hope wins over evil, but it takes a long time and it lurks. At, both of those lurk in humankind. And that's what this struggle about. For ne- this has now become a struggle about good versus evil. And the president of the United States is evil. Howard Dean, back in the day, I remember when he was running in the primaries uh, against Al Gore in 2000. I actually had a, a level of respect for Howard Dean uh, because he was a hard worker. He was a smart guy. And I think that the Democratic Party screwed him when he did the Howard Dean scream. Remember that? The, when he, I think this was, that was in 2004. Can't remember. But the Dean scream was uh, an absolute just uh, way of, you know, remember he's, we're going to go on to, let me see if I can find it. Cause you guys remember it. Right. And, 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 and this was, uh, Howard Dean was, was wronged by the democratic party when he, uh, when he was, he was 
they insinuate somehow that he was mentally ill when he did this. And, and I and actually I don't believe that. I'm about to, he just called my president evil. So far be it from me to defend Howard Dean, but I'm just going back in time to let you know that I didn't always despise Howard Dean. I do now. But I didn't always despise him. I thought he got rooked here in 2004 uh, in this scream. And this is called the scream that doomed Howard Dean. You know something? You know something? If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. And we're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. So now, I like that. I thought that was pretty cool. I thought that was pretty engaging. I thought that was uh, emotional, and it was uh, it was it was a guy who showed a lot of passion, and I thought it was pretty cool. And guess what? They made him out to be like he was some kind of freak, like he was some kind of crazy. That was in two thousand four. And to me, while it's funny and it went and, and we kind of laughed at it, that ran Howard Dean out of the race. Can you believe that? His own party sent him packing because they acted like he was some kind of sicko for for doing that. And to me, that's I don't know by by today's standards, that's uh, demure for crying out loud. Uh, but 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 again, there's a, there was a guy with passion and a guy with uh, a certain level of uh, of verve. And at the time, in, even in 2000 and even 2004, I actually respect respected that. I, I respect people with passion. I respect people who uh, who are passionate about their views and who are competitive and who are ralliers and people who are ready to rock. And Howard Dean was that guy. But they didn't like that, and they sent him packing, and then John Kerry became, you know, Lurch became their their guy, and he was soundly defeated in 2004. But nonetheless, Howard Dean's current comment is, in my opinion, a little sick. Uh, calling the President of the United States evil uh, is is pretty off the grid. And when you call somebody evil... What you're also saying is that people who support him are evil, and he's pulling the same damn thing that Hillary Clinton did when she called Trump supporters deplorable. And one of the problems is when you get into that situation, uh, you're you talk about being divisive. And again, I don't, I don't, I don't. Being divisive isn't a problem for me. If, if you stand by what you believe in, that's great. Uh, and and more power to you. I don't. I don't. I'm I'm not a fan of bipartisanship, and I'm not a fan of coming together because whenever that happens, we get screwed. But I am a fan of standing up for what you believe in. But when you call somebody evil and hateful and everything else, you're you're actually uh, you're actually putting a target on their back. Uh, not not their back in particular, but but the backs of the people who support them. So when a guy like Howard Dean 
who has a certain level of credibility uh, or used to until that appearance there. Howard Dean had a level of credibility. I've interviewed him before and everything else. So when you're in that situation and, if you, and you've decided you're going to take on the kind of lowball uh, approach that, that Hillary Clinton did and call people evil, uh, you're, you're basically excusing, like, like, like when, they, when they compared President Trump to Hitler, then clearly if you support him, you basically, uh, uh, it's just like you supporting Hitler. And so anything done to you is acceptable on the grounds of fighting an amoral movement or an amoral person. And so uh, there are all kinds of cases in history where somebody felt righteous enough to take somebody out and stop. Like if you could, like they always said, if you can go back in time and, and kill Hitler, would you do it? And I said, you know, yes, of course, blah, blah, blah. When you compare people to Hitler or call people evil, uh, you're actually endangering their supporters and, and everybody else. And that's why people get eggs thrown at them at Trump rallies. That's why people ha- get get hit with bike clocks by Antifa. That's why people have their storefronts uh, damaged or spray painted. That's why people are shouted at when they're in restaurants having a meal with their loved one or just minding their own business. Because these people all believe that they're fighting a crusade. And, and 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 any means necessary is okay. That's why Maxine Waters could say, "Hey, uh, confront people at a gasoline station, or at a grocery store, or at a restaurant," because she believes she has some kind of moral righteousness to say something like that. Because President Trump is evil, so that becomes a a, a real. A danger point at that time, and when it comes from somebody like Howard Dean to call the president evil, that becomes a bigger a bigger deal. And and that's when this is the same Howard Dean who will say that the president's divisive. I mean, these people have no self awareness whatsoever. So on to the uh, discussion of good and evil. So had a discussion about this and and uh, whether or not. People actually believe that the devil exists, like there is, like there is a devil. Like sometimes, um, I, I think Pope John Paul II talked about uh, if you, if you don't believe there actually is a place called hell, like like there's a like there's a place, like if you like if you dug deep enough, there'd be a hell under the ground or whatever. You know, if you don't believe that, uh, the the Pope. Uh, had pointed out, and and I'm mistaken. I'm I'm sorry, but uh, I think he had talked about the the belief that uh, um, hell is very simply the absence of God in your life. That 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 actually the absence of God is hell. Like hell might not be like a place where there are burning embers and fires and everything else, but there is a hell, and the hell is the absence of God. Now I do believe that uh, I, I, but I also believe that I do believe there is a devil. I, I believe that there there is a devil. I, I and I also and I also and this person for the first time to, informed me that I, I something I didn't know because I'm not really a biblical. Uh, Matt says there is a hell. It's called Michigan. <laughs> um, 
Uh, and Margaret, thank you, dear. Uh, perfectly put. I, you just, I, I was just about to explain uh, that. And I didn't, I didn't know this because I'm not really necessarily a, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not up on the Bible um, necessarily. I, I, I'm not, I don't know the Bible backwards and forwards. I probably should know it more. Um, as much as I read, I probably, I probably should actually try picking up the Bible from time to time and, and reading that a little more. But uh, as Margaret points out, and thank you, dear, perfect. Uh, that and and I and I have to tell you, and I and maybe it's it's an embarrassing admission, uh, and 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 I'm sorry about that. But so forgive me uh, about that. But I did not know that Lucifer, and, and maybe this because I didn't pay attention in in Bible school or in church or whatever. But I didn't know actually that Lucifer was technically once a an angel at the side of God, and 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 that and that Lucifer got too full of himself and, and one and thought he should be God basically, and so God said, "No, that's not going to happen. Get the hell out of here." <laughs> I think I don't, I don't. I'm not quoting that verbatim, and so then. Uh, and then, and then, so Lucifer then became a fallen angel and, uh, and, and Chris points out, I love this, these kind of discussions, by the way, I know it's not necessarily a talk radio discussion. Um, uh, but, uh, Scott and Chris, you guys point out that, that Lucifer was kicked out of heaven because he wouldn't love humans as much as God did. And I, it's my understanding. He also loved himself more. And so he was, and, and basically he was, he was too full of himself. And Chris points out that uh, Lucifer is a, a lesson also in the idea of, uh, of being overly ambitious and straying from God. That's where, that's, that's what that gets you is what happened to Lucifer. And, and Wayne points out, and I heard this too, uh, that, uh, that Lucifer was at one point God's favorite angel, which you know I'm really I'm I'm honestly I'm really ashamed I didn't I I just am I just was I just started exploring this I mean I just found out about this Do you know anything about this I didn't I I, I I'm kind of a I'm 55 and, and I probably should have known this but I didn't know it so that's just uh, the way you guys are like gee whiz dude where have you been I'm like I don't know I. I just haven't, you know, uh, I haven't been, I have, I've been busy, I guess. I don't know. So, uh, uh, and, and Mary points out idolatry is what got him kicked out. Uh, he put himself above God. And so that, that, that was the way, uh, of writing the ship. And so, uh, so Lucifer is actually a, a real thing, a real entity and biblically so too. And so, uh, it stands to reason that uh, that 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 there is that existence, and and in my opinion, um, I do believe that that Lucifer continues to uh, to fight. I believe, uh, and and and, um, and that and that and that there's always that continual struggle. Uh, and, and and because otherwise, if, if Lucifer was just a fallen angel, I'm not quite sure Lucifer, as full of himself as he as he was, would then just simply say, "Okay, bye, 
and then just go somewhere else and 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 uh, and and do and just disappear. So it stands to reason that Lucifer would continue to uh, kind of uh, be struggling, and and, uh, and 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 so perhaps there's a, there's that situation where uh, there where he would continue to struggle, and therefore that's a constant struggle of all of ours to kind of keep him out of our lives or out of the, uh, out of the, out of the situation. So I, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying that, that, that that's a, that's a strong, uh, possibility that he continues to try to uh, menace us and, and, and struggle with us. I don't know really necessarily where I'm going with this necessarily, but I do know that, that, that there is this existence of evil. It is a serious thing. And so to throw it around like Howard Dean did and just say that, uh, that somehow the, the, the president of the United States is evil uh, that's a pretty big ass statement to make. I, that's that's a, that's a pretty that's a that's a pretty strong thing to say, and and, and so um, I I t- and and so you guys well I know but you know you're just taking him too seriously. I'm like no I'm not, I'm really not because because there are people who do believe that if you call somebody evil. They're technically, they're really actually uh, literally a representative of Lucifer and a representative of, of true evil. Uh, and and then you begin to act on getting that out. And a lot of people aren't uh, prone to just simply say, well, I'll just pray for him then. It's like, no, um, I'll yell at him at a restaurant or I'll call him a racist or I'll beat one of his supporters with a bike lock. It just it just kind of depends on 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 your concept, but yeah, I, I learned that and um, really uh, really was intrigued by that whole thing. So I'm gonna have to bone up on that. You guys are always so knowledgeable um, about about this. I'm I'm always I always appreciate your uh, your uh, your your input on it. And 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 again, even as Scott points out, it's interesting how Howard Dean. I'd love to know what Howard Dean's uh, religious proclivities are. Uh, is, is does Howard Dean go to church? Uh, does Howard Dean religious? Because um, as Scott points out, he says, "Well, if you're not religious and you and you don't really believe in God or you're not you're agnostic, or whatever, then then certainly you, why why are you calling somebody evil? Because you don't you don't even really understand the the whole concept of that. By the way, I, there's a uh, there's a great uh, album by the Leuven Brothers." And and it and they are uh, they're in these white suits on the album cover, and uh, and there's this devil behind them, and the album is called Satan is Real. It's great. Look it up. Look up the album cover. It says Satan is Real. This is a song called Satan is Real. Is Facebook going to kick me off for this? Satan is real. Working in spirit. Can see him and hear him in this world every day. Satan is real, working with power. He can tempt you and lead you astray. 
think Facebook knows anything about this? The Leuven brothers are great, though, by the way. They, uh, they're brothers. They really are brothers. And uh, they, <laughs> Vicky's like, I don't think I'd buy this album. <laughs> I know. Um, that's, that's probably true. I mean, but, but back in the day, back in the 50s, I mean, these guys were, uh, these guys were the stuff. I mean, the, the, uh, among certain people who were uh, true believers, uh, they were, they were true to life gospel guys. And it's interesting, Mama Kay says this reminds her of radio uh, in the Ozarks in the 60s. The destruction of homes torn apart. And I know that Satan is real, for once I had a happy home. I was loved and respected by my family. I was looked upon as a leader in my community. And then Satan came into my life. I grew selfish and unneighborly. My friends turned against me, and finally my home was broken apart. My children took their paths into a world of sin. Yes, preacher, it's sweet to know that God is real, and to know that in Him all things are possible. And we know that heaven is a real place where joy shall never end. But sinner friend, if you're here today, Satan is real too. And hell is a real place, a place of everlasting punishment. Satan is real, working in spirit. You can see him and hear him in this world every day. Satan so- is Back in the day, these guys were the stuff. And Mama Kay, when you say you heard this when you were, uh, like, in the, it sounds like the Ozarks, absolutely. In fact, uh, one of the Leuven brothers wound up dying in the Ozarks, or in, 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 in southern Missouri, at least. And um, th- these guys were also, like, very uh, religious in terms, like, like, when the onset, and I played this before for you, the onset of, uh, like, uh, Atomic Power. And they were, and they were, they they sang a great song called "The Great Atomic Power," and they were they were actually very afraid. They they felt like when uh, when the country got this uh, got this uh, new power that it was kind of overwhelming. That it wasn't that it was, that it wasn't appropriate for human beings to have this kind of uh, this kind of. Uh, this kind of power, and, and there was, and they, and they, and they, and they uh, wrote a uh, wrote a song called "The Great Atomic Power," and, they, and they're like, are, are, "Are we really prepared to have this kind of power? Are you ready for the Great Atomic Power?" Deborah says this isn't Southern Gospel. It's not really. Do you fear this man's invention that they call atomic power? Are we all in great confusion? Do we know the time arrived? When a terrible explosion may rain down upon our land, leaving horrible destruction, blotting out the works of man. Their harmonizing was great. Are you ready? 
These guys were dead serious about this too. I'm not they're just not singing this. They're they're actually they were they were absolutely positively serious about this kind of stuff. But people people love this. And, and by the way, their their harmonizing is classic. I mean they did they did a lot of like uh, love songs and things too. They didn't only sing about religion. But a lot of it was kind of um was kind of uh was was a uh, a lot of it was kind of like rooted in in their beliefs and they're in the country music hall of fame they were put in there in 2001 and uh, so Ira Leuven was the older uh, brother and Charlie was the younger brother and they're very talented um Sometimes they were uh, they would switch who was the lead and who was the back, you know, the other guy. But but their 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 uh, their their harmonizing is is classic. There's really a good one called. Uh, let me see. When I stop dreaming, I love this. Um, here, listen. This is one of their love, their love songs. When I- And this is what this is from their later years. There's some better recordings of this, but that's Ira. The problem with uh, that Ira had was that he drank too much, and so right about the year I was born, uh, the uh, this is this is him a little later on in life as he was kind of getting getting out there. Uh, but right about day, uh, the year I was born, Charlie was like, "Dude, uh, you drink too much. You're my older brother, and I'm tired of you. And I am, uh, I'm, I'm done with us." So Charlie started his solo career, and then Ira went out on his own. Now. Uh, you guys know where Williamsburg, Missouri is? Uh, right off of Highway 70. You've probably passed it when you're, I think you're headed to Columbia or something, I think. So, uh, Ira, he's only 41 at that time. And this is 1965, two years after they broke up. He was uh, <laughs> driving with his fourth wife, by the way. He was in a performance in Kansas City, and right there in Williamsburg, uh, the the traffic went down to one lane, and that's when, ironically, uh, uh, a drunk driver stuck, struck them head on, and. Uh, and so Ira and his wife were killed in that uh, in that crash. That's when I'll stop 
And actually, it just so happens that at the time of the crash, when Ira and his wife were killed by a drunk driver, there was a warrant out for Ira's arrest on an outstanding DUI charge. So it was kind of like, kind of a mess. And then Charlie lived until 2011, and that was, uh, and so he he got he made it to 83. You know, they also uh, the birds recorded one of their songs. The Christian life, and uh, so they, they're they're uh, they're uh, they're they're a damn good group there. So uh, President Trump, did you guys hear about this? Where he where he has now uh, decided to end birthright citizenship via an executive order. Now I don't know whether you guys realize this or not, but the. Uh, the birthright citizenship is a thing that actually has been a huge, in, in, in the opinion of many, draw, uh, and one of the reasons why we have so many, so much of a big problem with illegal immigration. So he's going to sign this executive order that basically removes the right of citizenship for babies of non-citizens and unauthorized immigrants born on U.S. soil. So just get ready for the for the for the attacks on President Trump after this one. So this is probably one of the toughest moves the president has made uh regarding the immigration situation. Um and so basically the 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 birthright citizenship is otherwise known as the anchor baby thing or chain migration and ultimately uh this is going to go to the the court uh, and, and might even go to the Supreme Court. Uh, he has said before that he wants to stop this. And, and, and you have to understand that whether you agree with it or not, uh, there's no disputing, in my opinion, the president's power to do this. And, and I've told you before that the – Constitution and indeed and, and that has been uh, upheld and indeed even through Congress as well and through the courts have repeatedly supported the executives, the chief executives right to uh, and broad powers when it comes to immigration. Uh, technically, and, and people might be uncomfortable with this, but technically uh, – the president if, could could say that he doesn't want anybody with red hair coming into this country. He, I mean, he could technically say that, and, and actually technically do it, and actually technically have the constitutional right as a commander in chief to do it. That's how broad his powers are to control who comes into this country and who doesn't. Now, obviously, we don't want a situation like that where where you have people making decisions based on that. But nonetheless, this came out when he was talking about um, the, the the certain uh, the, the 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 countries that uh, that he put on a list of people he didn't want coming in here, uh, and and uh, they were countries in his opinion that fomented terrorism. Well, he had the right to do that, and that, and that right has continually been upheld by the courts. Every every time they have tried to challenge the uh, the president's powers 
over immigration law, he's won. I hope you realize that. He, he's, he's won. Now, obviously, in certain circuits, you know, he, he loses. But then when it gets actually to the, uh, to, to the, to the top, it ultimately will, um, will probably – he'll prevail. Now, keep in mind, though, there's a, there's a more complicating factor here. And that is that ultimately what happens is you ha- this becomes a debate over the 14th Amendment. Uh, so um, and, and that becomes the, the real fighting point. And, and that's where you're going to have a, a, a real life constitutional struggle, I think, because the 14th Amendment basically says all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. So uh, that's the 14th Amendment, and it basically says all persons born or naturalized in the United States are citizens. Uh, so uh, that's that's a that's a fairly big deal, um, and and and. That will be where you're going to have probably the most, the biggest hangup. Of course, the, at that point, the court will have to decide: uh, Does the Fourteenth Amendment apply to people here illegally? Their babies, and and that's going to be where this is going to be a, a, a big fight. Uh. So that, and that's why there are people who are even constitutional scholars who are like, I don't know uh, whether or not the president has actually the power to change this aspect of immigration policy because it relates so strongly to the Fourteenth Amendment. But uh, but the courts will have to decide what the intention of the Fourteenth Amendment is, and and and. Uh, does the intention of the 14th Amendment mean that it was only providing citizenship to children born in the U.S. to lawful permanent residents? And there will be people who will argue that the 14th Amendment doesn't address that topic. And, and so if you're, if you're a strict constructionist when it comes to the Constitution, does that mean that you interpret the 14th Amendment as it is? And, and, and the 14th Amendment is one sentence, basically. All persons born or naturalized in the U.S. and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Now, if you are a strict constructionist, you will uh, say, well, uh, that's what it says. But not necessarily, because the argument can be made that the Constitution itself is intended to apply to permanent residents, lawful permanent residents, that all people who are and, – and by the way, the judge Napolitano otherwise would uh, be here today, but he's going to be on Thursday, which is great because this will be a perfect discussion to have with him uh, because he had to move because he, he had some speaking engagement this morning, and so he had to move his uh, – his, uh, his deal here. So he's going to be on Thursday, which is perfect. But, but so, so the question will be, all right, 
what was the intention of the 14th Amendment, but, but more broadly, what's the intention of the U.S. Constitution? And, 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 uh, and, and in my opinion, the Constitution is designed for residents of the U.S., that that it's 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 the U.S. Constitution covers lawful permanent residents of the United States. Now, does that mean that if you are illegal here, um, you know, I can go out and chop your head off, and 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 you don't have any constitutional right? Uh, no, but none nonetheless, this is going to be a pretty big fight, and there's a constitutional scholar who says. Uh, that the Constitution has been misapplied over the past 40 or so years. Uh, He says the line subject to the jurisdiction thereof originally referred to people with full political allegiance to the U.S., green card holders and citizens. Uh, But nonetheless... uh, this will be this will be ultimately be a fight. So there is a guy uh, who is the uh, a former national security official with the Trump administration who says that um, Trump could specify to federal agencies that the children of non-citizens are not citizens simply because they were born on U.S. soil. Um, and it depends on whether or not this is their their main argument. But. Uh, He's gonna he's gonna do the executive order and then let people sue him, and we'll see how it goes. There is a judge who was appointed by Trump to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals. He says the line in the amendment refers to the legal obligation to follow U.S. laws, which applies to all foreign visitors. And he has written that changing how the Fourteenth Amendment is applied would be unconstitutional. So. The, the the bottom line is, uh, until the 1960s, the 14th Amendment was never applied to illegals. I mean, it was never something that was uh, was was applied to illegals. In fact, if you're not here as a, in my opinion, if you're if you're here illegally, you're not covered anyway. Between 1980 and 2006, the number of births to unauthorized – oh, i got to go here. So I know two already – of unauthorized immigrants, which opponents of birthright citizenship call anchor babies, skyrocketed to 370,000. This was uh, from 1980 to 2006. Uh, now, the Supreme Court has already one time ruled that children born to immigrants who are legal residents have citizenships. Have citizenship. But uh, those who claim the 14th Amendment should not apply to everyone point to the fact that there has been no ruling on a case specifically involving illegals. So that's where we're going to see the action is possibly a ruling on on that because the Supreme Court already said that if you're born to an immigrant and and and, and they're legal permanent residents, they do have citizenship already. Which makes sense, obviously. Uh, so the courts are going to have to deal with uh, with this issue, and it'll be interesting to see how even the ones appointed by President Trump weigh in on on this one. So anyway, that's I think that's coming at some point today. 
Uh, I'm not sure, but he's gonna he's gonna go ahead and sign it. And, and keep in mind too that that uh, that some of what President Trump does is designed to send a message, even if it ultimately is thrown back at him. Uh, it's designed to send a message, which is why, for instance, since President Trump has taken office, we have seen a decrease in people popping through our borders and not an increase. And ultimately, too, we're going to see a decrease in illegal immigrants who have overstayed their visas. You know why? Because we ain't given more visas out like we were before. That's all. Uh, let's see. Oh, what do you uh, – oh, Lisa uh, – no, Deborah's asking me if I'm going to be going back to TV. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got some, still some court things to work out regarding, uh, regarding that. And, uh, and so I, my court case against Intercom is continuing. We've got some mediation coming up because uh, what happens is when you sue in federal court, the judges in federal court uh, are uh, always insist that you go th- – through mediation first to see if you can figure out a settlement before that, before you actually go to trial. Um, our trial date is July 1 of next year. And uh, I am fully prepared to go to trial. I, I, I am fully prepared to go before a jury and, and, and go through all this. Uh, in the meantime, uh, obviously, uh, by the time April rolls around, my year non-compete is over, so that'll be a uh, that'll be a, a non-point. But we're trying to get it done sooner, uh, so that might come. And once that's done, it'll be back on dial radio. Uh, I have a couple of options there, and uh, and then Radio Free Almond will continue. We'll maintain it, but I'll be on dial radio. So Radio Free Almond will be on on the on the app on Facebook, and then, of course, on Dial. So you'll have three different options to, to do it. And then ultimately, television uh, will we'll, we'll work on, on getting back on television because local TV is uh, right now in terrible shape. Uh, they are in uh, uh, awful shape. And my, my show, my TV show, just as a point of order here, I know, it's, I know I'm running late here, but... Um, uh, yeah, no, I I know Paul. The radio signal sometimes. I I definitely going to be careful about who I where I go and 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 what I do. But I'm just saying, the more options, the better. But the uh, the TV show, the Almond Report show, which is which is crazy. But um, our ratings were great, and on top of our ratings being great uh, for what it is, uh, for what it was. The 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 audience makeup, my demographics were perfect for any radio or any television show. My audience on TV, they were wealthier, uh, better educated, and uh, more demographically mixed. In fact, they had a really high level of urban voters or uh, urban viewers which were uh i black and white uh, the the mix the, the mix was was huge so my demographics were not only racially mixed to where they they were not uh, they are aren't on other news shows and my um my uh demographics as it relates to the people watching were everybody the people watching were 
wealthier uh, and 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 more upwardly mobile, which you're not getting on local TV. Local TV is is a new, usually a down market approach. People who are watching it generally are just watching it to see who got murdered and 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 what tractor trailer jackknifed and what's on fire. And that's basically you're not getting a very high level of 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 intellect watching a lot of these local news shows uh, because there's nothing there for you. How many of you actually watch the local news? I mean, occasionally you might, but how many of you actually turn on four or two or, I mean, I think five remains the best station out there, but how many of you guys actually watch these, uh, watch these local news shows? I mean, I mean, even weather, I mean, I get weather on my damn phone. I need to watch a weathercaster, and sports is the same way. But so my show offered a different approach. It, even though even if, even people who disagreed with me on the television still liked watching the show because I was at least fair. I wasn't balanced, but I was fair, and they, and they still watch. Uh, uh, they still watch the show, and they and they liked it. And and even if I annoyed them, they still liked watching me annoy them. So it was it worked out pretty well on on all levels and, and and we had interesting people and interesting things and 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 had a uh had a, had a had a good time and had fun and and we didn't cover murders we didn't cover fires we didn't cover jackknife tractor trailers I hardly covered sports because I am not good at that and uh, certainly weather I you know whatever but but nonetheless that's the the the, the TV show was a great product. And uh, and will be again at some point. Anyway, I got to go, people. Yeah. Anyway, thank you uh, for your support of the show. And thank you to Golden Oak Lending. 314567 Gold. I don't know whether you noticed this, but the Fed increased the rates. But that doesn't matter. They'll go up again. Uh, they'll, they'll go up again, possibly. So... Oh, Margaret, you like the heat phone. There's a heat phone right here. That's the heat phone's girlfriend. I have the actual heat phone at my house. So, yeah, the rates have gone up, but that doesn't matter right now. They're still low. Historically low. So, 314-567-GOLD. GoldOakLending.com. Thank you to Nutrition HQ, NHQ.rocks. Thank you, Ricky Hall and Jenna. Veteran-owned right there at McKnight and Manchester in Rock Hill. Yes, indeed, everybody. Good morning, this morning. Uh, Nutrition HQ, NHQ.rocks. Matthew Mitchell, the Matthew Mitchell Allstate Agency, 855-QUOTE-ME. Michael Proctor, Proctor spelled like doctor, proctordrapery.com. Nick Schwarr, I don't. The heat phone's not on right now, dude. <laughs> Once we get to uh, Radio Free Albany 2.0, which has been a little bit delayed, we're going to have the phones back on. I'll be able to take your phone calls too. That'll be. I love that. I kind of. That's one thing I really do miss. That and my stinger board. I like talking to you guys on Facebook, but I but I, I like to have the people calling into the show. That was always a always fun. So we'll we'll uh, we'll do that, and then also uh, thank you to Santino Cigars and Cocktails, Santino Cigars and Cocktails, Vogel Road in beautiful Arnold, 
Thank you also to Eric Deputy, DeputyWellness.com. Tracy Ellis, TracyEllis.com. Tracy and Rick are great people. Good people. Yes, Suzanne. I'm ready to take your phone call, too. All right, everybody. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening.